I, I feel like the Bitcoin community is one of the best communities to take on the future. We've got rich, smart, heterodox, idealistic, iconoclastic pirates. Okay, what are we doing? Hello there from Miami. How are you all doing? Are you here for the conference or are you sat at home? Are you missing out? If you are, I'm really sorry. I really feel bad for you. It's going to be an amazing week. I've been here for 24 hours. I've already had a great time. Now, after a long 18 months with all this COVID bullshit, we've all been locked away. We haven't had the chance to spend some time with each other. So it is great to finally get down here to Miami, hang out with some Bitcoiners, talk about the last 18 months, especially the last few weeks, and start planning for a big couple of years ahead. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I have an interview that I've been trying to lock in for quite some time now. I finally got Eric Weinstein to come on the podcast, get a mic in front of him, and ask him a whole bunch of questions about Bitcoin. But also, on this one, I have been joined by my buddy, Travis Kling, who joined me as co-host. So a big thanks to Travis. Thank you for coming out for this. Anyway, before we get into the interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. Okay, first up today at sportsbet.io. Now, next to Bitcoin, I have a couple of big other passions. One is football and the other is cars. Now, sportsbet.io is the most fun, fast and fair way to bet on sports with Bitcoin. And as a thank you to the Bitcoin community, which has supported sportsbet.io since 2016 at the conference, they are giving away a Lamborghini to one delegate at Bitcoin 2021, yes, a 2021 Lamborghini Huracan EVO convertible, amazing. But listen, you might not like Lambos. You might be like, fuck this shit, Pete. I don't like a Lambo. It doesn't matter. Even if you don't want the car, they will pay out the equivalent value in Bitcoin to the winner. How cool is that? Now, if you want a chance to win, Find the Lambo, snap a photo of yourself in front of it, and post it to social media with the hashtag SportsBetLambo. And if you want to find out more, please do also head over to their website, which is sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Next up, we have Extra's Wallet, who I have been using for my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. Now, at the start of the year, Extra's Wallet reached out to me. They said to me, Pete, we want to sponsor the podcast. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. All very good, but I've got to play with the product. I've got to see it. I've got to check it out. Now, the thing I always care about with Bitcoin products is the UX. You know my audience. You know the way I approach things. It's got to be easy to use. And when they showed it to me, well, they absolutely nailed it. They crushed the UX. Exodus could not be easier to use. They've absolutely killed it. I love using the product. I am using both the mobile and desktop wallet. But you don't have to just believe me. You can go and check it out yourself. Head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And also, this show today is brought to you by Casa, who are the very, very best in Bitcoin security. Now, despite what's happened with the price over the last few weeks, I know some of you out there have made some decent gains with your Bitcoin. And if you aren't custodying it yourself or you're using a single wallet, it's probably time for you to consider Casa. And listen, I know what you were thinking. Do I really need this? Isn't this going to be a pain to set up? Maybe some of you out there think, what the, what the hell is a multi-sig wallet, Pete? I've got no idea what you're talking about. I know, I know, I know, because I had all the same questions. But honestly, it could not be easier to set up and you get so much peace of mind when you have it. 
Now, with a multi-sig wallet, you can custody your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you distribute into different locations, and that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about Casa, I am a customer. You can DM me. You can reach out to me on my email. I will answer all your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-U-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, on to the show. And this is one I've been very excited about. Now, earlier this year, Eric Weinstein found himself on the wrong side of a few of the more hardcore Bitcoiners after he posed somewhat skeptical views of Bitcoin and even more so the culture around Bitcoins. But despite what other people thought, I reached out to him. I wanted to talk to him because you know what? It's very easy just to dismiss someone. Oh, they're not saying everything I want to hear. So blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear from them. Listen, I want to hear from the skeptics. I want to hear from the people who challenge Bitcoin because it makes us rethink things. So I'd been pushing Eric for some time. I'd been reaching out to him and finally he said yes. So I was in Chicago. I booked a flight. I went out to LA. I spent 24 hours there and I got to record with Eric in my buddy Rich Roll studio. Okay, big thanks, Rich. Thank you so much for lending me your studio. Now, as I've said, I wanted to have Eric on the show for quite some time. Before this crazy shit happened over the last couple of weeks, I think he's a fascinating person to listen to. And yes, not everyone agrees with him, but I like the way he challenges Bitcoin. I like some of the thoughts he comes out with. So it was really, really cool to interview him. Now, I knew Eric was going to be a bit of a heavyweight. And I, you know, sometimes I want someone there with me. So I reached out to my buddy, Travis Kling. I was like, Travis, come on. I need a co-host. Come and help me. And Travis was like, yep. And he came out, which was very cool. Now, this is a monster interview. We ended up chatting for about two and a half hours. And honest, we could have probably doubled that. There was so much more I wanted to cover. But sometimes you just have to wrap a show up. But it was great to hear from Eric. Great to get his perspective on Bitcoin. I hope you enjoy this one yourself. I hope to do a follow-up with Eric at some point. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. You can jump into my Telegram group or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Okay, over to Eric, over to the interview. Eric, welcome. Peter, thank you. Thank you for coming to do this. You're the hardest person to schedule in the world, but we got here. Well, I appreciate you uh, being patient with me. Forgive me. No, all forgiven. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we're joined by my friend Travis. Uh, I've made a few podcasts with Travis. I tend to be better asking the questions, but when we get into a bit of a discussion about deeper topics, Travis here is uh, the expert I asked to join us. He's the muscle. He's the muscle. He's the weight. He's the brain. Where do we start? There's no chance I'm the brain at this table. You would, well, there's no chance I'm the brain. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so you've been going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole for... Around, I know you've been in a long time, but you've well, been... I found out about it. I think in 2010 from Jordan Greenhall, mm-hmm. now Jordan Hall, and I was astounded. But you've been a little well, bit more public about it recently. I care about your recent experience. Sure. Um, well, okay. In 2010, I wrote this essay called "Go Virtual, Young Man," about decamping into the electron layer the idea that we should leave our physical personas behind and that we should realize that more and more things. And it, it was in part built on the idea that the double spend problem in crypto is effectively a conservation problem in the physical world. So how is it that my gold isn't your gold until it changes custodianship? So 
the fact that that problem was soluble at a distributed level took me completely by surprise. Did not see the technology, did not understand that it was imminent. And when I found out about it, my thought about it back then wasn't as money. It was, oh my gosh, someone has figured out how to port the constraints of the physical world into the digital layer. And therefore, we can set about rebuilding everything that we know to be possible because the physical world is a proof that what we see in front of us, bottles, glasses, uh, microphones, are, are real. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that you could take physical law, come up with a digital form of it, and then um, have that govern a system so that you can't create, you can't counterfeit, you can't uh, have a central bank come in and... and uh, execute a seniorage play against your currency, all of those things had me in mind of how do we decamp the uh, the world of the physical and move into the world of data, of bits, of electrons, rather than the world of atoms. And only recently did I come in contact with the Bitcoin universe by mumbling, or I guess I also had Vitalik uh, of Ethereum fame on my podcast. Mm -hmm. And many Bitcoiners... Uh, responded to that in a way that I had not sort of understood, which is, how dare you talk to charlatans and scoundrels? <laughs> and well, how dare you? How dare you? I was one of those. Were you? Yeah. Tell me about that. I can't remember what I put. I think I probably put something, why are you talking to a scammer? Really? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I'd have to go and dig it out. It doesn't seem very nice, Peter. Well... We're not very nice people sometimes. We are actually. Bitcoin is a really nice people. I can't figure it out because you you guys do seem to be sort of weirdly idealistic and decent, but somehow you appreciate the aesthetic of being a dick. It's, yeah. It's a little bit like a... Um, <clears throat> it's like your, your body's own defense system against getting sick. Like you get food poisoning and you're just vilely ill afterwards, coming out of both ends, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, right? And that's your body repelling this thing that, that it deems to be uh, uh, dangerous to it. And, and I think for the OG Bitcoiners that have been around since, you know, the 2012 cycle or whatever, I think they've seen, and that's not me, but I, I know these guys and I, I've studied the history of, of, of Bitcoin and the various alt cycles that we've done previously. And they've seen so much of it come and go and, you know, just wave after wave of uh, things that promised to do something but then not actually deliver on it, that I think the collective, like, OG Bitcoiner community and then the new Bitcoiners that have, like, added on to that have, like, adopted this stance that is, um, you know, commonly referred to as maximalism, which is, like, the refusal to sort of, like, even... Uh, entertain that maybe there could be something else uh, uh, out yeah. there worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. But also, we're very protective over this Bitcoin thing because it's, you know, it's a project that's taken 30 years to exist. The previous projects by cypherpunks to try and build this form of digital money, which many failed. Right. And finally, we have one that's worked. And it is working. And it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. And, yeah. and the way people explained it to me, because I very early on, I made shows about toxicity saying you can need to be nicer, you need to be welcoming people in, but... No, I didn't, I didn't say that. Oh, no, I did. I know, but I, I want to be very clear... Lex Friedman did. That, yeah, that's that's the kumbaya love perspective. Yeah. I, I have probably have a different perspective. Well, so I think what it is, is once you 
once you've been in for a while, and like Travis said, you hear the same bullshit over and over again, but once you have your material amount of net wealth in there, you want it protected. It has to be hard but to change. But that's talking your book. And it's a very when if the issue is is that my net worth is in this object, and now the idea is that that object is uh, susceptible to going down or going up, depending upon how people feel about it. I have to ensure that people feel about this in a way that's coincident with my financial goals. No, so, that's a different point. Sure. So, so forget the financial goals. Uh, I, you know, we've had all this stuff with Elon recently, and plenty of us, you know, have said fuck off. Sell your Bitcoin. We we don't want you here. Like if you if you're going to cause issues, and we'll take the net loss. We're in this for the long term. This is a multi year project for us. Yeah. It's more about people coming in, trying to centralize the project or trying to influence narratives in, in a new way. This kind of you see the meme. I just discovered Bitcoin. I'm here to fix it. That right. kind of thing. Uh, and also trying to defend against the basic principles of what we're trying to achieve here, which is just decentralized money and, and very simple properties. Twenty one million coins. You know, uh, uh, I mean, Bitcoin has to do three things. It has to secure 21 million coins, has to issue new coins in the process, and it has to uh, allow for censorship-resistant payments. And just protecting that is why people can get quite rabid. Right. And I think it's kind of interesting. I think it's... I took a long time to get my head around it because I... I think what it comes down to is this idea of learning in public, Right. And learning in public when you've got 500 followers is different from 500,000 followers. That's true, but I don't think that's where I have my differences with you all. In other words, I understand the idea yeah. that this is something worth protecting to you. Mm-hmm. I understand that this is something that is constantly under attack. It's under attack by people who don't even understand that they're mm-hmm. attacking it. Let's assume that we go through all of this, okay? Maybe I have to pass some sort of a written, you know, number two pencil bubble quiz. Assume that I get most of the answers right. At that point, what I understand of it is is that this system has a bolt-on culture that is necessary, potentially, in order to get it to to function. Like It it may be that Bitcoin maximalism is a necessary part of Bitcoin for Bitcoin to work. So assume that that's true. Mm -hmm. In which case, it isn't just the protocol from the white paper or whatever. It's, in fact, a composite it's like in Judaism, you have written Torah and you have oral Torah. So in a weird way, the culture of Bitcoin is one that is highly idealistic in its interior, very often. It's not, it's not homogenous. Many different kinds of people live in this ecosystem. But then the crust of it is extremely unpleasant. And the idea that you have to have that kind of a dichotomy present between uh, an idealism because you're trying to do something different and a sort of an armed wing. Let's think of it as the armed wing of the Bitcoiners, <laughs> right? You know, that, that's a known way of dividing things. Like Hamas, for example, does a lot of social services in Gaza with hospitals and schools and the like, and they also do firing of rockets. So it's very common to have some sort of uh, idealistic thing coupled to some very... Uh, aggressive military thing. And I don't see Bitcoin as particularly distinguished in that regard. And it's sad to me in part that the architecture of the coin isn't better so that the culture of the Bitcoiners 
can be less focused on this issue of attack. And of course, this was one of the problems to begin with, which was, what are we going to do if this technology works? Anyone can create a coin. And if anyone can create a coin, now we have a new problem, which is we've never had more than a handful of really important currencies before. Right? So if you think about, for example, in fiat space, what are the really important liquid currencies? You've got uh, USD, uh, EUR, GBP, uh, maybe you have CHF, um, JPY. It's, you know, it thins out very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Even Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, Swiss, you know, th- th- these are smaller. And so in part, this problem of the ability to create currencies at will mirrors, if you, if, if you like, the fact that central bankers can print money at will. And this is one of the problems is, is that they have the ability to print and you have to have a culture that stops printing. And so what you guys have figured out is that you have to have a culture that stops printing crypto and not printing it in the level of new Bitcoins, but new coins. We can't really stop that though. It, but, you're, it, but in part, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it non-profitable. No, actually, I think I think what we're trying to do is, uh, if you've been in long enough, you've seen people uh, buy a new coin, make a profit, and then suddenly be in a loss as the rug gets pulled, and then that coin just dies off. Very few have survived multiple cycles. It's more about trying to guide people towards Bitcoin and what's different about yes it. Yes and no. I would say that Part of it is altruistic, saying, I don't want you to make these mistakes. Mm. You know, there, there is the altruistic aspect of have fun being poor. You're trying to tell somebody, you don't have to lose. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're, you're not going to win as much as if you'd got in, 20, in 2011. But on the other hand, you don't have to lose. So in a weird way, even the uh, completely charmless uh, epithet, have fun being poor or staying poor, uh, has a bit of idealism to it. Of so, course. Yeah. But here, you are both talking your book. I mean, you you said it yourself, that when your net worth is invested in this object, you have a different feeling about it. And the issue of talking one's book is distinct from warning other people, is distinct from having a preference for Bitcoin over everything else, if for no other reason than its ideology is different. It comes from a mysterious place that we don't yet understand. It's not trying to be smart contracts, um, although there are things that are bolt-ons and, and off to the side that may, may have that those properties. So let's agree that there is some standard process by which people discover the world of crypto. They make certain canonical mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. There's a way in which the community has been through this a million times. People come in at different levels. People come in just wanting to learn. Other people come in saying, don't worry, I've solved everything. And, uh, you know, buy, uh, buy Bruno coin or buy Sally coin or whatever it is, you know. So you create your own. Okay. What I'm much more interested in is where is the really good conversation to be had around crypto in general, Bitcoin in particular, and the relationship between fiat and crypto, between that which is enforced by violence and that which is enforced by math. Well, a lot of people in the circles I mix in, they don't even entertain the conversation of crypto. They don't even use the word. It's like, no, I'm not in crypto, I'm in Bitcoin. 
Yeah. That's that's just a bunch of bullshit. And and the the way I tend to think about it myself, the way I've compartmentalized it is that I consider Bitcoin to be my vault that's protected. It's protected by math, cryptography, and a rabid army of plebs who are or cyber hornets, as Sailor calls them, who are there to, you know, protect Bitcoin. Yeah. And then I consider all the other stuff. I think that's me taking a bit of money out of my vault and going to Vegas and going to the casino, just playing the roulette. See, but you, this is one of these revelations, mm. which is that you think of this primarily as money. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways in which I get into trouble with Bitcoiners is not thinking about this primarily as money. Okay. And so the, the issue of it being a form of money was important in to getting people to adopt distributed computing. And so even if you view it as purely a technology, the fact that that technology was a technology built around money and it could make you rich in traditional terms by understanding it, is a very good example of getting fitness landscapes to cause the adoption of a new technology. So in a certain sense, you know, uh, wealth is its killer app so far. People are always saying, what's the application? Well, I would say one thing is, is that uh, it's made a lot of people very wealthy. And so in a weird way, money is the killer app of the blockchain decentralized computing story. But if I continue to think about it as technology, in every other situation, people want to innovate. And the great danger in Bitcoin is, no, 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 you can't innovate around this because it's money. Because it's money, it should be resistant to certain kinds of innovation. Then we get into a different discussion about, well, do you have to do something you know, in the main thread or can you do something off to the side and we're not really against innovation? My concern is, is that there are a huge number of uninteresting conversations to be had around this. And I don't want to waste your time and your mm. listeners' time in one of the rivulets. One of the things that I've learned is, is that everybody sounds like something. And so whether or not I'm just saying the same thing everybody does when they when they alight in the Bitcoin universe, or whether I'm saying something different, people will hear it in terms of what they've already heard before. Yeah, like I get that. I mean, I was talking to Travis on the way up. Yeah, and even uh, Rich, who's been kind enough to loan us his studio, is that a lot of the conversations are the same. Yeah. Yeah, and... and it is good to get different voices on and hear different voices. And I was pestering you because I actually wanted to hear about the things you have to say. Whether or not I agree, it doesn't matter. We can debate those. But but it is it is interesting to get into that. But it's funny that, I mean, I, I don't consider this a technical revolution. This to me is a monetary revolution. I absolutely You don't believe. see this as a technical revolution? No, I, I see it as a monetary revolution. No, I see it as a technical revolution as well. Yeah, the, I tell you... I think it's both. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's both. The, 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 the like shorthand way that I, I think about this a lot and, and <clears throat> as a guy that runs an investment fund for a living, have definitely spent tons of time for years th- thinking about this. A lot of different use cases for distributed ledger technology. At the moment, money and specifically store of value appears to be the killer app right now. And, w- and when you evaluate these different um, use cases, I, I like to ask four questions. How ready is the tech for the world? How ready is the world for the tech? What do you need decentralization for? And how decentralized is decentralized enough? And in my opinion, and again, not a Bitcoin maximalist, fund doesn't reflect that. Um, But I think Bitcoin more fully and convincingly answers those four questions than any other crypto asset in existence today. And that's, that's not to say that there's not 
a lot of really interesting innovation that's going on down market cap from BTC. And, you know, ETH and what's going on with DeFi would be the, the poster child for that. But within those four questions, and specifically, I think, what do you need decentralization for and how decentralized is decentralized enough? Well, if, if you need sovereign-grade censorship resistance, you got to have a lot of decentralization for that. And that's Bitcoin that exists on 10,000 nodes all across the world. When you look at Ethereum, which is um, a smart contract platform, decentralized compute, however you want to say it, it's kind of at the, the furthest end of the spectrum in terms of decentralization for that kind of thing. And then all the way over on the right side is AWS. And man, AWS works amazing, right? And it's cheap. And we use it a lot for our business, and it's like it's it's a it's a great product. And if you're if you're going to run, you know, crypto kitties, there's there's a question on what you need decentralization for versus just running crypto kitties on top of AWS. And there's a lot of other competitor smart contract platforms to Ethereum that sit at, at different places along that spectrum. And I think it's the market is collectively trying to figure out what exactly do we need decentralization for and how decentralized is decentralized enough? See, one of the big debates right now between Bitcoin and Ethereum is to do with the consensus mechanism. But that, to me, isn't an argument over technology. That's an argument over the resulting impact it has on the monetary policy. Proof of work being free market and proof of stake being kind of a, a rebuilding of the system we have now, which can drive wealth inequality and centralizes power centralizes the rewards from the system. Like anyone can spin up a miner and start earning Bitcoin. But with proof of stake, you already have to be invested. And the, and, and the wealth is redistributed to the people who have the most money and the power is. So for me, it definitely is a monetary revolution. There is technical aspects to it. But. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not fighting the idea that it is a monetary revolution in particular. What I'm really trying mm. to say is the first way it strikes me is as a new technology. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that money is part of the adoption scheme is weirdly to me part of the technology. I mean, I keep referring to Daniel Suarez's book uh, "Demon and Freedom," and those books talk about a guy I think who dies and more or less puts an entire world in motion after his death by using incentive structures and technology. And so in a weird way, you know, this is something that causes humans to adopt it by making them richer. And by getting humans who are curious and are high in trait openness, if you did a big five personality inventory, maybe it requires less of it now. Um, Yes, that, that, that wealth building ability is part of the tech. Now, the problem and what makes it unique is that if I disrupt the tech platform, I may disrupt the wealth, and that causes people to want to freeze it in. Now, we, we have analogs of this. There is, for example, I mean, the last line of the Torah uh, says something about, and uh, there never came another that God knew like Moses. And if you think about Islam, there's this concept of bidda or innovation, which is a bad thing. If you innovate after Muhammad, then you've taken this perfect interaction that Muhammad and God have had and you've sullied it, you know. And so in a weird way, the idea is we've had our divine moment uh, and don't 
don't touch this thing. And, you know, that's not true at a certain level. There's lots of work being done on Bitcoin and around it. But there's another weird way in which, yeah, it is really true. Don't touch this thing. And that comes from its monetary nature, not from its technological nature as a pure sort of digital technology, not not the meta technology that includes money as its adoption process. Sorry. If you're competing against gold, we've been using gold to store value for 5,000 years. You know, the incumbent has this like stunning head start on you. And in order to convince increasingly more people to adopt this alternative store of value based on this technology that people don't really understand all that well, you know, I think um, being slow to change, that's like a, f- a feature, not a bug, right? And uh, I'm always reminded of, uh, Peter, you've definitely seen the movie Snatch, right? Yeah, of course. You ever seen that movie, yeah. Snatch? Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Anyways, one of my all-time favorite movies. And uh, this Russian mobster uh, sells this, uh, this gun to uh, one of the main characters. And uh, he hands it to him. It's this like enormous old-looking revolver. And uh, the guy goes, a little heavy, isn't it? And the, the Russian mobster goes, heavy is good. Heavy is reliable. And like in a lot of ways, that's how I think of like Bitcoin as it changes on the main chain. Like it just needs to, if it's going to compete against gold, people need to understand that it's going to be the same. Uh, it's just really hard to change. Yeah. Okay. And I, th- and I think some of the competing cryptocurrencies, uh, they're making trade-offs which make it, which might sound like it's a better technology. I mean, I get trolled all the time. Get I'm into the boomer coin. Bitcoin's the boomer coin. It's slow, blah, blah, blah. And what I don't think they understand is the, as the properties that make it the best form of money. So if you make, blo- you know, we went through the scaling wars. We had this war. You know, and Bitcoin won. And the reason it won is because the trade-offs aren't worth it. When you went for bigger blocks, you further centralize the project. Right. If you try and be faster, you further centralize the projects. So I'm not I'm not opposed. I think a lot of Bitcoiners wouldn't be opposed to it, if it, a better Bitcoin comes, but there just isn't. Well, but it's also less... Actually, I don't really believe that. I really believe at some level that when you have your wealth bound up in this thing, you have multiple feelings about it, right? And one of the feelings is I want to get richer. Right, and so if there if there was some opportunity to have a much better decentralized form of money and smart contracts and all this stuff, and it was going to obliterate your wealth, you wouldn't be indifferent to it. But you could put your money easily into that. Maybe, but you maybe know. you're slow to figure it out because you're a big Bitcoin maximalist and you spent the first four years of its life, whatever this new thing is, talking about it as shitcoin. Okay, but, yeah. What I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, let's cut the crap. Right. right. So, you know, the, the fact is we have an asset. It's making people richer. In mm-hmm. a weird way, they're both philosophical about it. They're also disingenuous about it. Then you have the people coming in from outside. They are both knowledgeable about things other than Bitcoin, and they're also posers. And they both want to change the world, and they both mm-hmm. want to rip people off. Right? All of these things are going on. And, like, look, I want to have the conversation after all of the typical foreplay. Okay. Right, so all of the foreplay has to do about no, no, no. We don't really mean this. We may appear this way, but we're actually trying to do something. And if you get to know it, uh, whatever doesn't matter. The more interesting thing to me is this technology and this new form of money is really interesting, mm-hmm. and it's new and it means something. And what I want to get to 
is, well, where are we really headed? And what does it do? And is this really a store of freedom? We talk about a store of value, but is this really an effective store of freedom? If the world's major governments decide that they can't stop the technology, but they can cause the penalties to be very high, just the way we do for counterfeiting. Uh, counterfeiting yeah, by, by the populace, not by the government, because right. the government counterfeits. Well, the government prints. It's counterfeiting. No, it's not. It's retaining a right to transfer wealth by printing fiat currency. I, yeah. I think they're counterfeiting. They're counterfeiting. I think the government counterfeits what currency when they mean? print it. Because it's no different to if I was to create a machine to print money. Hey. No, I mean, no, I mean the definition of counterfeiting is like you know making fake money and the government, part of its role is it gets to create real government money. government creates, or if you like, just to riff off this, the government creates a fake reality, if that's what you want to call yeah. uh, but civics. But they get to. They get, they get to print okay. their way out of mistakes. All right, so we now do. the idea is that you have civics is fake, yeah. right? Okay, so we have a fake democracy, we have a fake military that deals out real death. I, I, I don't know where we're going with this. If you, In other words, I, I may be your ally in saying, I can't stand the government's mm -hmm. right to print money and claim that it's engaging in stimulus or relief or, you know, lubricating the economy or who knows what, right? You're transferring wealth by making, by diluting. Yeah, okay. but just, I just consider it legalized counterfeiting. But you just said you have to say legalized. Yeah, like I'm just saying, it's, it's the exact same app. Uh, if, I could, if I could create perfect notes. Should we call tax theft? Uh... I mean, I think that's there's certain people who are listening who want me to say that. Exactly. Mm. That's what I'm start, trying to say, which yeah. is this is the problem I have with all of these conversations. Mm. I'm not an anarchist, though. Whatever. But we get into these things where we just have these typical, wear worn, well worn conversations about things like is, is printing money counterfeiting? You, you know as well as I do that it is a kind, if you believe governments are legitimate, then they're retaining a right over their fiat currency to make more of it diluting people in the process, right? So they're going to devalue it with, through the mechanism of seniorage. Mm -hmm. Now, we can say seniorage, and we know, we're not going to get upset, but if you want to say counterfeiting, I'm going to sit there and say, well, what's the dictionary definition? If a government counterfeits in its own currency, I agree that if you start printing euros and you're the United States, then you've got a different issue. But does the United States have the right to print U.S. dollars if it enforces its currency by violence? Yes, it calls counterfeiting what it does done by anyone who is not it. There we go. I like that. I like that. Okay. Yeah, but I, my point being is is they get, they have the right to print their way out of their mistakes and we don't. That's right. Yeah. So, okay, if, let's, let's do it a different way then. Shall we theorize the impact of the growth in Bitcoin. If it just continues to grow, what will the impact be? Rather than debate whether tax is theft and yada, yada, theorize where it goes and what is the actual impact? Well, at some point, crypto gets big enough that our governments who issue fiat currency are going to want to do over. Mm -hmm. And that scares the crap out of them because the, the number one ploy will be to say, if we catch you transacting in this, we're going to make your life hell. And we're not going to catch all of you. right? If you, if you decide that you're going to print a dollar bill on your home printer, the odds that we're going to catch you are very, very low. 
but we're going to make the penalty very, very high so you don't start experimenting with this. All right, well, that's what you're going to start to see, is you're going to start to see draconian penalties for doing things that are difficult to stop using crypto if we are not careful. What do you think the likelihood is of that outcome? Depends. I mean, there are a lot of ways that the Bitcoin story goes south in a very dangerous way. And by, of, by south, you mean, mean like Bitcoin fails or you mean like south, like it gets so big that... We don't know. This is a novel object. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And part of what makes it exciting is novelty. Now, when you hear many people talking about Bitcoin, they will talk about it as if its past will be its future. The most remarkable thing about Bitcoin by far is every day I check it and it's not zero against the U.S. dollar. And I think, this thing is a miracle. And literally, I... Lindy, I, Lindy effect. People love that word in Bitcoin. Is that right? Yeah. Just means it's been around. Okay. Yeah. I can't tell you how impressed I am every day that it's not at zero. It's just one more day, this thing, which the prize for taking this thing down is enormous. Effectively, it's offering a bounty. And it hasn't happened, you know, even after like the Mt. Gox, you know, and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. it has been very durable. And that's one of the reasons why it has a very stable following of people who are fanatical because it has, it, everybody wants to take it down. I mean, you think George Soros wouldn't enjoy speculating against Bitcoin and making billions and showing up the community? He's actually been investing in the asset class. He's actually gone the other way. Well, I'm just... just, Sure. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, how much fun to to have all the Bitcoiners in your back pocket uh, because you you, you skin them alive, you know? Now, that world um, in which Bitcoin continues to exist has to reconcile... With, with the fact that Bitcoin hasn't been exposed to most things that can happen. Bitcoin has happened uh, during a period of relative quiet in terms of the world's, let's say, military engagements. Um, it has taken place in a period of relative technological stagnation. I don't know how Bitcoin behaves more generally or what happens when it gets close to its, you know, 21 million ceiling or, or anything. I don't know how it will continue to deal with its challenges. Now, it's got, a, you know, a large number of years where it hasn't fallen apart. But no, this is, this is a dangerous object. To your point about gold, we know a lot more about gold. I mean... Dangerous in what way though? What Dangerous as a threat to government well, let's think about gold, the U.S. dollar, and Bitcoin in the same terms. Yeah. Okay. Gold comes not only from physics, but from violent physics. It doesn't just come from stars. It comes from like collisions and explosions of stars. It's very hard to make gold. Mm-hmm. Fiat comes from a printing press and the threat of violence. So we've got gold that comes from violent engagements of stars. We've got USD, which comes from the full uh, faith and violence of the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. And we have Bitcoin that comes from what? Peaceful revolution. Come on. You know, Red Nicartas. You know, it comes from elliptic curves. It comes from math. And in a weird way, that shift towards number theory you know, it's t- to make sure that you have a form of money 
that reveals a potential undoing. If there's a huge change in quantum computing or cryptography, or we come to understand that there's a back door, if we have uh, some change, for example, in physics, maybe we can make gold atoms out of helium and hydrogen. I don't know. You know, potentially you always have the problem of a central bank goes hyperinflationary and just runs the printing presses morning, noon, and night. All of these things have a problem. Because if you think about the traditional definition of money, um, you know, we have store of value and medium of exchange mm-hmm. and unit of account, all these things. It may be that there really isn't any good example of money. Well, they're all relative to each other. Right, that's the point. And depending on what you're measuring it on. Well, but, the, but one of the issues is, does the volatility of the exchange rate, if it's volatile enough, actually function as a threat to store of value? Even assuming there's no drift of the median exchange rate. You well, can, it's, it's, it's only been volatile to the upside over any kind of like meaningful amount of time, right? Well, this is the point you have. That you have a long-term trend, and so you can detrend it. You know, you can subtract off the trend and just say, um, you know, what is its propensity of the exchange rate? Can we remember? It's not Bitcoin. It's, it's the exchange rate of Bitcoin mm-hmm. that has the volatility to yeah. it. So then you can ask, okay, well, how volatile is this asset on an annualized basis? It's pretty volatile. Now, that means that even if the the middle point, however you want to define it, doesn't move that much, if I get in when it's, you know, very high and then it mean reverts and it goes way below, that is not going to be a great store of value for me based on my entry points and my exit points. Mm -hmm. And so in part, Bitcoin, its volatility is part of a threat to its use as money. Well, uh, well, I don't yeah. think, you can't go from zero to, you know, gold's worth $10 trillion in aggregate. You can't go from zero to $10 trillion without volatility in the price. But imagine, right? for example, that with gold, uh, or no, imagine a new element, um, I don't know, okay? So preciousium uh, transacts where it can be five dollars, the exchange rate uh, of um, five and five thousand, and it doesn't drift relative to USD. Okay, just imagine. But it it really varies within that range between five and five thousand. That's a tough store of value, even if you believe in some sense that it um, it doesn't drift. It means that where you enter and where you exit really make a difference. Yeah. But the market is pricing in a new global money. And as Travis said, you, know, the, you can't go from zero to one, five, ten trillion over 10 years, 12 years without some volatility. Well, but, but again, do you want it to be volatile? Do you want, in some sense, if I think about three different universes. Mm -hmm. I have the universe of, let's say, consumer prices. Okay? I have the universe of fiat currencies. And I have the universe of crypto. Mm -hmm. What... So, if those are three vertices of a triangle, then the edges of the triangle are all exchange rates. Even the price of a consumer good in fiat currency is really an exchange rate. Right? How many pairs of tennis shoes? 
Okay. What should those legs look like if fiat currency is itself garbage? Well, this is relative again. I, I, no, pro, no, the, things are just going to keep getting more expensive, right? Isn't that the answer? Well, so that, that was my point. Is that, Assume that the dollar, for example, has a property that, with respect to consumer prices, that it has low variation with respect to consumer prices, but it has a high propensity to be inflated away. Just assume that that's true for mm-hmm. the moment. And then assume that Bitcoin had a low propensity to be inflated away, but had extremely high volatility with both of the other objects because they both have low volatility relative to each other. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, you would have one, one vertex being a better traditional store of value, but subject to sky-high volatility. And you have the other thing being a better medium of exchange with respect to short-term fluctuation, but being a very poor store of value over a long term. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So, so but this that's is, how we use money, right? Yeah. So this is this view that that gold is good at storing value over time, but not space, mm-hmm. and fiat currency is good at storing value over space, but not time, and Bitcoin is superior at both because it's instantly transferable anywhere in the world, really cheap, and it has the properties to store value. Very, very well. In, in Austrian economics terms, it's the hardest money in human history. And to your earlier point, the world hasn't actually ever had anything like it before. But there's like a qualitative framework around assessing potential stores of value that's been around for a long time, right? Gold, 5,000 years. Before gold, we're using salt, seashells, really big, heavy rocks. And there's a reason that like when gold came along, over time, humans decided collectively that gold is better at storing value than salt. And it's, it's like an Austrian economics framework, hard money versus soft, sound versus unsound, the six characteristics of money, durable, divisible, portable, uniform, accepted, scarce. And when you line salt up next to gold, gold's definitely the winner there. And then when you put Bitcoin up next to gold, you, know, you can make a real credible claim that Bitcoin is superior in five out of six of those characteristics. And it's really just acceptability given that gold is like not really the foundation of the global financial system, but like kind of because central banks hold a lot of it. Um, And, you know, Bitcoin's made pretty good headways in terms of uh, acceptability versus a 5,000-year-old asset in 12 years. Great. I mean, it's something wildly new, super exciting. Mm -hmm. But what do you guys really want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, because there's some level, which I don't want to, wait, 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 just one second. I don't want to talk about Austrian economics one more time. And I, I don't want to talk about mediums of exchange and units of account one more time. Mm. And I don't want to talk about central bankers one more time. You guys want to talk about something. Well, we talk about this stuff every week. Yeah. You know, you're a different, you know, different voice. You have a lot of conversations with other people. Yeah. You meet a lot of people. I want I want to know what, what you think. Where are the areas you want to get into? What is interesting you in Bitcoin? Like, what are the topics where you're like, what is it making you think, you know, in terms of threats, opportunity? You're definitely interested. I know you see the threat of inflation, and I know you recognize I see Bitcoin. the threat of abundance. I hate abundance. Mm. Everybody in my world just goes crazy for abundance. They go to Burning Man one, one day a year, or one week a year, and then they have these experiences, right? And they say, oh, my God, it was so beautiful. Everybody was gifting. I wish Burning Man could be 365 days a year. And there's a relationship at Burning Man between Black Rock City— Right, right? Mm-hmm. and 
what they call uh, the default world. Have you been? I you haven't. Been? No. I've heard okay. good things. All right. So they, they say, welcome home. This, is, this has always been your home. And you've left the default world. And the default world is fiat mediated, right? And so there's a weird way in which Bitcoin and BlackRock City are like real things. They're durable. They've been doing the BlackRock City for quite some time since it was on Baker Beach. And there's a relationship between the old world, that is fiat currency or the default world, uh, and Bitcoin or, or Burning Man because Bit Burning Man couldn't exist without the default world. You spend 51 weeks a year earning in the default world to blow it on one week at Burning Man, right? There's all that treasure that gets trucked into the desert came from somewhere. And in a certain way, at some level, fiat currency is inextricably intertwined with uh, Bitcoin and with crypto in a way that's uncomfortable because, of course, the Black Rock City folks want to do away with the default world. They want to live in, in Black Rock City. Isn't that a barter economy when you're there? Pardon me? Isn't there's it, there's it, no thing that looks like an economy once you're in Burning Man. Isn't it like exchanging of things? Though? You gift things. You, you don't expect... So it's a Sorry, I, I lost the comparison to Bitcoin in, through that. Oh, that you have worlds that feel free of the old, but they're actually inextricably connected. Yeah. See, for, when people are, have their wealth in Bitcoin and then you see them clutching their heads in pain as some were doing recently. Um, I don't know, some of us were laughing. Yes, but some of you were in, some people were talking about why doesn't, uh, why don't some of the people who have mediated this crash understand the toll uh, in human lives? I just put, you know, everything I had into this asset, blah, well, blah, they're blah. They're an idiot. <laughs> oh, should we tell them that? Well, I, I think I just did. Okay. <laughs> I mean, look, there's, there was two kinds of reactions to what happened over the week, that week. There were the Bitcoiners who just laughed, and there's the shitcoiners wearing Bitcoin who were devastated. No, the Bitcoiners didn't just laugh. A lot of the ones I know did. That's not what I, you, Travis didn't because he's a... Uh, no, a, a lot a of people didn't laugh. A lot of people did laugh, though. A lot of people laughed, and a lot of people didn't laugh. Should we talk about the ones who did first? Sure. And talk about why they did. We should do that, but again, I, I'm put in mind the fact that you asked a question, which is, what is the relationship yeah. of BlackRock City and Bitcoin? And my, my comment was, is that there's an uncomfortable relationship to the outside world that you're trying to disintermediate and the fact that you are dependent, in some sense, on that outside world. Big time. Yeah, yeah. So, Right? And so the, my claim, and, mm. and the, which was supposed to be uncomfortable, but, you know, hey, maybe, maybe Bitcoiners are all just geniuses and the rest of us are all fucking idiots, um, is that it wasn't universally seen as fun. Of course not. Yeah. Right. It, it just wasn't. And, and it bothers me that we're going to retcon this and say, oh yeah, real Bitcoiners didn't even bother. They didn't even notice. No, I'm being slightly facetious, but the point I'm trying to make is, is the overall narrative of what happened over the week, right? Um, you know, Bitcoin's had a great year. Um, but Bitcoin, as we said, it, it's, it's meant to be decentralized. And decentralization isn't just a decentralized of the tech, it's a decentralization of the power. If you look at the 
how the uh, process works for doing upgrades to Bitcoin, the yeah. BIP process, the review process, the social consensus that's reached, the the the, the test, the building of the code, the testing of the code, the deployment, the signaling for the code. That, you know, that is a beautifully designed decentralized process to ensure it's hard to change and when changes come, they're necessary and they're big and important upgrades to the system. What we had was a centralization of power and influence over narrative and market prices, which came essentially a lot from Elon Musk, um, who's been kind of uh, schizophrenically changing his opinions on Bitcoin. And that that a lot of Bitcoiners don't like that because it's too much power and, and, and concentration. Who gave him this power? Well... <laughs> He took it. He took it. Yeah. He bought it. He bought a billion and a half dollars. Well, actually, yeah, maybe. Well, but no. You, uh, in the, fairness, Travis, we also gave it to him because I mean, uh, uh, you know, myself, I was like celebrating. This is amazing. Tesla involved. This is going to be great because other companies are going to think about it. I now reflect on that as okay. You know, we go through learning journeys with anything. You know, right. I reflect yeah. on it and go. Actually, that was wrong because there was too much pa- pa- power in the hands of somebody who's highly influential, also erratic. Um, and he can influence the narrative, which will happen. And he's also got all other weird incentive structures going on with his business and carbon credits. Like, and, th- and that's why it was kind of like, actually, this would be better if he went. It's like the meme that came out. It was like this car on a road. Did you see it? It's like the car can go two ways, and the sign says, number go up or tell a billionaire to fuck off. And the car's <laughs> going that way. And the point being is, Bitcoiners will tell him to fuck off. It doesn't matter if you're Elon Musk or Travis, Pete, Eric, whoever. Actually, we don't want. But you partially got into trouble because you forgot your own culture. How do you mean? Super sexy man with rockets, yeah. smartest man on earth, et cetera, et cetera, coolest dude ever. Embraces Bitcoin. Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you see, see, mom. Yeah, no. I told you this was going to be something. Yeah, yeah we all got yeah. excited. Big time, right? Yeah. It, it, it's a weird balance of, but, of, of anti-fragility, which, you know, I think a lot of Bitcoiners would argue is, is one of Bitcoin's great, greatest properties where you, you have periods of time where a single individual or, or a group or an organization moves into a position where they can have an outsized influence on, you know, Price or potentially the direction of the project, like let's say in the in the block debate in 2017, yeah. and you know I think the big Bitcoiners have this long storied history of these back and forths towards like well we appreciate that somebody is shining a light on why this is important, but at the same time deeply understanding that decentralization is uh, is one of the most critical. You components. don't have a long storied history. You just don't. I mean, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm yeah. 55 years old, and <laughs> if, if I know somebody for the length of time that, that Bitcoin has been on Earth, I don't consider them an old friend. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's a fair point. So, so, great point. Next point. Um, yeah, when you guys were going through your loving Elon phase, because Elon smiled and that gave legitimacy, mm-hmm. it spoke to me about things we don't like to talk about, which is I've taken so much shit for holding this asset that's made me rich, it feels wonderful. Yeah, it was validation. Some, I understand that. But that broke your rule. Right? We don't trust. We validate. Mm-hmm. Who did the validation? Some outside force. You allowed. You. 
on average, <laughs> the community, which isn't the community, you don't understand, nobody speaks for blah, blah, blah. It is a community. Okay. Allowed yourselves to get suckered mm-hmm. by validation. Now, one of the things I will say in my own defense, because I'm the only one defending me here, right? You is, well. We love you, by the way. <laughs> no, you know that, right? I mean, I've been super excited. <laughs> I've been super excited to do this, and we are natural allies, and this will all work yeah. out in the end. But you However, watch your step. If you if you if you put a fist wrong, we're fucking come after you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I'm introducing Eric Coin. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I was going to say is is that I didn't allow you guys to push me off Bitcoin when you're being dicks, and I'm not going to abandon Bitcoin because its number goes down. And yeah. so f- from my perspective, I'm just looking at this laughing, no offense, mm-hmm. which is I got your stuff better than you did, what? which is don't suck up <laughs> to the billionaire. Well, we can't be absolute about this. Uh, there were plenty of people when Elon came in, but plenty of, you know, yeah. you've heard of the plebs. Plenty of those were like, not sure. Not sure. And you know what? And I think it's made everyone a bit cautious now. Even, I would say, since this episode, even Michael Saylor is now being watched with a different eye. And like, I don't mind saying that. I was saying to him, you know, I think there is that kind of nervousness now. And and I also think one of the things with the Elon thing is like, he's getting a lot of pressure. I, I think it's the reason he's getting a lot, a lot of pressure because we're test, he's being tested now. Like, you're either in properly well, what off. he did was just wrong. Yeah, of course. And it was wrong at multiple levels. Well, what do you think he did wrong? Because I, I well, one thing things. I did did wrong is that he explains why he's backing away from this based on information that he had when he was backing into it. Mm. Yeah, huge so, question. Around so you all know, this. my feeling is, come on, cut the crap. What What's do you really, think happened? Who cares? I mean, here's 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 my problem. Mm. I don't think Elon is really central to the Bitcoin story. I just don't agree. Agree. Okay. I think that what you think he, he needs pushing away what from he, it. No. Yeah. I think that the key thing is you got to free your mind of Elon. Right? You have to appreciate Elon for all the wonderful things that he is. Mm-hmm. And you have to recognize that it's counterbalanced by all the things that he is that you wish he wasn't. Right? Mm-hmm. And in so doing, he is like the rest of us. Right? Now, what I get is is that Bitcoin is bigger than any particular person. It doesn't really belong. It's decentralized. Okay, that's its ethos. Within that ethos, um, I think Elon is a guy working out his own problems from being too famous and under too much scrutiny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he likes must, to say yeah. random stuff. He likes to, you know, his comment that the world takes the path that is maximally entertaining. Right, it's it's pure chaotic neutral, right? That's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. level. Yeah. Um, and so, in a weird way, he's not your hero. He's not your villain. He, 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 I don't think he's done with Bitcoin. My my sense of it is that he's going to come back into the Bitcoin universe. He what happened with Tesla being forward thinking enough to accept Bitcoin immediately resulted in Tesla not being forward enough yeah. to accept Bitcoin because yeah. it wasn't ready and. In so doing... It wasn't ready? Yeah. What do you mean it wasn't ready? My belief is is that there's a reason that so few large ticket items advertise that they are purchasable simply in Bitcoin for a reason. You're talking about something with volatility properties that if it comes in contact with the normal financial universe, 
are going to lead to enormous swings. If you hold a lot of Bitcoin on your balance sheet, you've got a situation if, if, if you're going to be priced in a numeraire like USD. It's, complete, it's completely conjecture on, on my part, but I would guess that Tesla sold about 40 Teslas for Bitcoin. Like it just, uh, you know, I, it, it's a guess, but there's a, a Gresham's law. I mean, um, bad money drives out good. You, you spend the money that's not very good at being money and you hoard the money that's good at being money. I'm just, and I'm trying to get the idea that when you're first out of the blocks to try to do something big like this, you find out all the reasons why nobody else has done it. Right. Right? <laughs> so, you know, you announce something, you, you get all the plaudits. Uh, people say, wow, great job. And then you actually have to manage the situation. And so I remember thinking, and maybe this wasn't a very elevated thought, I wonder how long that's going to last. Mm -hmm. Right? It, it, accepting Bitcoin for payment for Teslas uh, plus buying $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin on a publicly traded company's balance sheet, if you're going to, that's about 1% uh, impactful accepting Bitcoin and 99% impactful that he put it on his balance sheet. Yes, but my feeling is it was all coming from something that wasn't very well thought out. And mm -hmm. that my, my point wasn't about which is the more, which has more impact. Um, my, my thought was, maybe it's just dumb, but I heard Tesla's accepting Bitcoin and I thought, so cool. That was my first reaction. Mm. My second question was, I wonder how long that's going to last. Yeah. yeah, but the 180 with a press release based on energy uses and then energy use becoming the narrative. Yeah, but maybe the idea is that what re he really thought about was that he'd spent so much time on a green narrative with a car company, he hadn't figured out how, like maybe he had rejected the idea that Bitcoin wasn't green enough. And then he found that that was going to be too difficult. Who knows? Who knows? But again, well, yeah, my, my question is, I really want to talk to Elon about interplanetary stuff and physics. Mm -hmm. I'm not that interested in talking to Elon about crypto unless he's going to do something huge using his wealth or his brain. But it just, again, I get back to the I'm somewhat bored of the standard conversations we can have around this. Like, what is it that you guys want to do that's next level and awesome? And that's a great... I, I feel like the Bitcoin community is one of the best communities to take on the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more interested about what a bunch of pirates want to do. I, I've got a, a huge number of rich, idealistic pirates. Mm-hmm. That should be the most riveting thing. That's one of the reasons that I was dying to do your show when you asked me. We've got rich, smart, heterodox, idealistic, iconoclastic pirates. Yep. Okay, what are we doing? We're going to build a country. <laughs> we, are we? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. We find the right island. We started with money. We got enough, yeah. we got enough of it. The, the, there is this turn of phrase of like, uh, you know, save the money, save the world. Fix, fix the money, fix the I world. I understand that. And I so think right that, now I have things I want to fix right now. What yeah. do you want to fix? I'll tell you how Bitcoin fixes it. <laughs> <laughs> right, my relationship with my second cousin. Bitcoin fixes yeah. everything. Um, okay. W what really is going on for me is sense making. What do you mean? Sorry, what do you mean by that? 
we used to have newspapers. We used to have universities. We used to have scholars. But we're turning everything on its head right now. You Bitcoin or we? No, humans? everyone. Everybody is. Like yeah. everybody's questioning everything. Questioning the media. Questioning education. You know, question politics. You know, everything is being rethought out right now. Except for things like honey badgers, which just don't care, right? And th- Bitcoin is supposed to be like a honey badger. I think they. I think they care first. I think you think honey badgers care the most. Well, no, no. Just about certain things. It's like they're the first ones. They were the first ones that I saw. You know, who were re. They, they, they were they were trashing the media. They were trashing politics. They trash everything. Basically, they don't trust Verify. They don't trust vaccines. Yeah, not everyone. Who? It's a spectrum. Who? Who's they? Bitcoiners generally. Bitcoiners generally, and it's a spectrum. You know, certainly more on the right, or, or right leaning, or libertarian. There are some on the left, but they keep quiet because they get attacked for being socialist. <laughs> um, but but certainly they they see that you have to change the money to fix a lot of these problems you can you can the root of a lot of these problems is the money the cheap credit okay you fix that money you fix a lot of these problems i mean you've talked about it a lot about the degradation of society yeah you know the, the embedded growth obligation i'm all over this action we are supposed to be natural allies yeah, it's I agree just with that. the the idea is that i'm supposed to put laser eyes in my in my profile photo yeah. and i'm supposed to say i am a maximalist now as if i've touched a pot or i'm some kind of a stepford wife f that no nobody's but, asking but, you to do that you got laser eyes travis i took mine off yeah, when we I hit a new all time high Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. It doesn't matter. No, 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 no. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. If if I was going to try and attempt to 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 bridge a lot of the things that I've heard you talk about um, in various different capacities, I, I would bring up this concept called the trust revolution mm. that, that I've talked about for a while, and it and it's um, something that initially attracted me to this asset class and this technology in 2017 when I was first going down the rabbit hole, and it's actually stunning how much it's been exacerbated since then. But we have seen unchecked power failing society at multiple levels, and that is getting worse, not better. And society is recoiling from that to an increasing degree. And younger generations feel this more acutely than older generations. I I think millennials and Gen Z are generations that think Wall Street is rigged, politicians are crooked, and big tech takes your data and they do shitty stuff with it or they don't keep it safe or they use it to make themselves the richest people in the world and they they don't return that value back. And there's there's commonalities across, and, and you can ask the question like, when did this start? And and I think you could make the case that it started when in 2001 on the back of 9-11 when we went over in the Middle East and tens of thousands of lives were lost on the American side and many more on the other side. $10 trillion were spent. And what we went over there for in the first place never ended up happening. And there was a question about why that happened. And then it was exacerbated in 2008 on the back of the financial crisis when you damn near blew the whole world up. Nobody went to jail. Everybody, the bankers were all fine. And, and, and then you fast forward to uh, Brexit and Donald Trump. And why did those two things happen on the other side of the world within a handful of months of one another, but with like sort of like the exact same underlying drivers? And then you just had hit after hit, NSA spying, 
Black Lives Matter, uh, the Me Too movement. Um, it's all coming apart. Harvey Weinstein, like yeah. all of these things. And, and society is recoiling from, yeah, but you know, we're not power built. tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and the question is, what decentralized power, what does that do? So, so I, I think distributed- We don't know. I, I think distributed ledger technology can serve as the technological platform to drive societal change for the good in that it can start to dismantle these centralized powers that are failing the people. And money is a great place to start with that. And it, and it obviously dovetails into the way our political system is in the United States right now, which is, I mean, I think as broken as it's been since, I don't know, maybe the Civil War, I don't know. Well, you know, because you and Brett tried to make an attempt on it and you became censored. Yeah, well, I, I didn't believe Brett's attempt would work, but I was willing to throw my, my name behind him because it shows why we can't have nice things. Well, the most interesting thing about that was the censoring of it. That, exactly. Like, right. like what? Well, that was the whole point, is, is that as soon as you have something that's completely non-threatening, like bipartisanship should be threatening to no one, of course it has to be censored because that's what's really threatening. Right, so if you had stable money and you had bipartisanship, and you had a green world that was much less dependent on fossil fuels, uh, what would power do? Right, I mean, it would just spy on you on, on your relationships with your ex boyfriend on Facebook, or I, I don't know what what it would do. So we we have a situation whereby, um, you know, real power, which is very hard to locate and mm -hmm. find out who's behind it. Um, has I think been getting well has been decreasing, but everybody else's power has been decreasing at an accelerated rate to that. So I, mm. I believe that our our central shadowy powers uh, still exist, but they aren't that powerful. What's happened is is that everyone else has gotten incredibly weakened, and Bitcoin is one of the few things as a community that's gotten stronger, and so. The really interesting question is, okay, well, what do you guys want to do? You know, is just just hang on for dear life and buy a Lambo at some point? Is that is that what we're doing, or are we are we are we taking on nation states? What, what's the plan here? There is no plan. It's not binary. We don't, we don't need a plan. It's not binary. What? It's not binary. We can get Lambos and take them on. <laughs> well, but you're, but you're taking them on less. <laughs> I, uh, like I, I'm really excited. I mean, you have to appreciate. I'm yeah. really excited about not dying. Right, not dying okay. is one of the things that excites me the most. Okay. And um, are you getting cryogenically frozen? Not that kind of not dying. Okay. You have kids. I have two. All right, that kind of not dying. Okay. Right. So my my feeling is I my, I want my lineage not to have a death sentence and being trapped on a thermonuclear planet with lunatics uh, with fingers on the button is not my idea of a good time. Mm -hmm. So I want out of that. And most determinedly, I want off this planet. So you want to go to Mars? No. Where do you want to go? Um, Mars and the moon are starter planets, okay. but there are only two of them. Is, is Elon going to give you a seat? No, he's not going to give me. I don't know Elon. Oh, I thought you might be able to apologize to him for me because I, <laughs> I kind of need a seat. He's giving me your seat. <laughs> he's giving you my seat. Okay. Um, no, I mean, I think what we need to do is focus on physics. Okay. And I keep saying to you guys, okay, you're getting so rich, number go up. 
When are we doing physics? When are we, when are we actually going to invest in the ability to escape this planet? Hmm. No, again, that's yeah. my pet thing, which is that I want, your, hu- I want humans to survive. Yeah, okay. That's not my pet thing. Yeah, you don't yeah. care. I know, I know I do, but I just think it's not going to happen in my lifetime, probably not happen in my kid's lifetime. It's not my focus of attention. My focus of attention is... You are aware that there are UFOs. Yeah, this is a good timing, isn't it? Yeah, I think you should rescale are your you, time horizons. Are you, a, are you a UFO? Everyone is. You are. Well, look, I, Sorry, I just... My, are, you, are you not? I just don't know. I'm just not sure. Oh, you should verify. <laughs> don't trust me. Well, listen, look, look, but I, I, you know, I'm in more simple terms. I'm not a, uh, I'm a bit of a moron, really, and I don't have a university degree. And and I, I, all I can think about are the things that are close to me, which is me. So here you kids, are bragging that you weren't dumb enough to invest in a university degree, and you're doing it through false no, humility. I'm a dropout. I'm a university Peter, dropout. You're really pissing me off. <laughs> I'm a university <laughs> dropout. <laughs> I am actually a university dropout. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good. I have to bring, when I get a smart person, I have to bring someone smart like Travis to help me. Listen, look, I have to think. I have to think close to me and what's important to me. And yeah. The things that are close important to me is me and my family. What What's going to happen to the UK over the next ten, twenty years? Is it Is it going to you know see a similar? Well, it is seeing a similar societal breakdown as the US happens. Um, where do I want to live? Where do I want to be? What's going to give me freedom? I st- I actually start from a very selfish point. What okay. is best for me and best for my family? Where where should I live? Actually, quite quite like look at Texas at the moment though. But the, by the by, and then what can I do to help others? Um, and I think <laughs> in terms of this, in terms of what we do with Bitcoin, it's just trying to drive some form of choice and financial freedom, some kind of separation from this system. Which is unfair. Like my produ- my producer, you know the website WTF seventy one because you yeah. like it. My producer Ben worked on that. Uh, okay. Um, you know, I, I know that what we've seen is like a lot of my friends would be traditionally middle class now don't really have much disposable income at the end of each month. Yeah, no kidding. And we're seeing so so. I see Bitcoin as a chance to. So is it a revolution? Is it a financial revolution? It's definitely a monetary revolution. Okay. But I don't like. I don't understand how it's going to play out, because I, you know, we're building something new here. You know, it's it's a form of money we've never had before. Completely decentralized, completely digital. We're trying to decentralize power. I mean, we talked about what happened with Elon earlier. It, go, it goes through. We go through learning lessons. You know, two thousand seventeen was a scaling war. We learned that forks aren't popular. We learned that big blocks don't work. This this year, we've learned that. Billionaire power isn't good. You know, we keep going through these... Oh, but you knew like, that. No, I didn't. I didn't yes, you did. I, I, well, maybe if I thought about it... You guys made an free, exception. If I rationalized it, no, maybe you made an exception for a particular billionaire because the particular billionaire showed up with the cachet of cool. Well, strictly speaking, then we've made the same for Michael Saylor. So we've made it for two billionaires. And Jack Dorsey, a third billionaire. So we've actually, it's not just, we've made it for all billionaires. Well, let's say it. it's not really about billionaires. It's about acceptance. Hmm. Yeah, and the validation and the, and you validation. Know. Yeah, yeah. And I and I wish in look in part. I'm looking for confidence, right? The confidence of the community. And we talked about the toxicity. Oh, they're confident. Oh no, they're not. I mean, you could wheel some maximalists out here yeah. that would give you a line that would there'd be zero doubt. Yeah, I'm not talking about absolutism. Right, totalizing behavior is one of the downfalls of the system. 
I mean, if, if, if we brought somebody out who was completely convinced of Salafist Islam, you know, would they be confident? I mean, they might be willing to blow themselves up, uh, you know, to show, to show their confidence that uh, they had an eternal reward taking out people who were threats, you know, to Islam. I don't know. What do you mean by confidence then? Yeah, I don't think I know the difference yeah. between confidence and conviction. I'm well, not sure. confidence. Um, I think at some point, you're looking for a quieter, kind of more deliberative phase of this of this project. Like the initial phase is, uh, I initial I, phase I, is survival. Well, yes, you say I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about the UK, right? So we, the first thing we saw was you're worried about you, and you're worried about your family, which is you extended. Mm -hmm. Then we're worried about UK, which is your country and my friends. Put them and in your friends. Okay, so friends next country. So, you know, these are sort of circles of empathy mm -hmm. and they're radiating out. And eventually, you know, you care about <laughs> all of your fellow men. Mm -hmm. There comes to be a point where you're not worried about the Bitcoin. You're not worried about your own personal finances. You're not worried about whether you're right or you're wrong. You've already given yourself your pats on your back. And you start thinking, okay, well, what is this meant to do? What should we be doing? And... In part, it's going to be a self-organizing system. And one of the things that we're going to find out is, did this select for people who are able to form institutions themselves? Or are these people who hate institutions so much, we're not going to do that. That's what boomers did, man. Okay. So Now, if you form institutions, what will the nature of those institutions be? One possibility, you see, is, is that Silicon Valley was not good at forming new institutions because it was so good at taking apart old ones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the concept of software eating the world meant why should I create anything in the world if software is just going to eat it later? So the only thing worth doing is doing lightweight software things because everything that's brick and mortar is going to get blown away. Well, in a certain sense, it may be, here's a good reason why Bitcoin should fail. Bitcoiners being decentralized are going to build decentralized things. And those decentralized things will be very good at removing corrupt things that are centralized. And it will be very bad at actually creating the new framework um, that we need when centralization is necessary. Yep. Now, that I don't know. That's a story, right? It may, it's not necessarily a true story. Maybe the Bitcoiners are exceptionally good at doing centralized things when centralization is called for. I don't know. Well, we... we, we... We're talking in absolutes again. That's the thing about Bitcoin is there's a range. There is an absolute range. There are those that want complete breakdown of the state and believe in anarchism, which I don't. I don't think it's... It's not whether I theoretically believe it or not. I just don't believe it can happen. Yeah, I agree Because humans we, want to organize. You and I have talked about we this. We talked about this. And, and, you know, we had that conversation because I found... Oh God, I'm going to get so much hate for saying this, but I found your conversation with Brett about the monopoly on violence really interesting because I was trying to weigh up the net of both scenarios, you know, absolute freedom versus uh, state and a monopoly on violence. And like, which is net best? And it depends where you measure it. Like, if you are a complete freedom-loving anarchist, abs you absolutely believe that you should be free and no one should uh, have any right to make any decision over you. Others believe that it's better that we organize and we have agree collective rules. I find that super interesting, but the spectrum is there. You have got anarchists and you've, you've got some quiet under-the-radar socialists who don't want to admit it because they don't want to get yeah. called us, you know, and everything in between. And, and 
um, you know, you know, so so there there are a range of people and they want to do a range of things. But I think the common thing that brings most Bitcoiners together is they want to end what is considered the cancer of central banking. Yeah, that is. I think that is one. What of is the, the com- cancer of central bank? I just think it's the ability to mess with the money and that where you are you know you've seen different impacts whether you're in venezuela which i've been to to see the impact or whether you're in lebanon it's different or whether you're in turkey it's different different levels of inflation that's affected it but i think generally speaking there is that common common understanding a common agreement that the money printer is too easy to turn on now there is no check on the power of the money printer and if we can end that or rein that in that's going to be better for society. And what if you had an MMT person across from you? I've done it. I did it with Stephanie Kelton. I enjoyed yeah, yeah, having the conversation. I think she's full of shit, but I enjoyed having the conversation. Okay, but let, let me just stand in for, yeah, okay. since she's not here. Right? So the idea is, no, 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 you don't understand. This is great. We have a problem. If we can't print our way out of our own debt, um, you have to appreciate that this is a, a feature, not a bug, uh, and that in effect... Um, part of the problem is is that if you actually introduce the kind of money that you want to introduce, you're going to be condemning society to cyclical tragedy uh, that effectively, without central banking um, and various illusions involving money, um, we have no way of dampening the cycle. And it's just going to be a cycle of monetary uh, and financial violence that is revisited upon uh, everyone at times of the the market's choosing and not when we can afford it. Well, if you if you can't print money, you can't go to war in most cases. And when you look at the collapse of fiat currencies, the vast majority of time they happen because a country went to war and kept going to war and financing wars that it couldn't win. And in that way, trying to uh, remove that capability over a long period of time from governments is like unequivocally a, a, a peaceful endeavor. I've never actually always bought that argument because we've always been pretty much in a perpetual state of war somewhere on this That's planet. Like, we can get back to the nature of humanity yeah. on that, but just looking at the history of fiat currency collapses, yeah. they happen from war. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm saying is I, I think it's, Sometimes I feel it's a bit reckless to say, "Oh, if you fix the money, there won't be no, there won't be any more war." I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I, just, yeah, yeah. I think. No, that's I mean, too, humans, yeah. we're going to do what we do. Although we're killing each other less than we ever have before, so. which is good. Yeah. Next up, I talk to Eric more about Bitcoin, but before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, first up, we're going to kick off with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you. You as a Bitcoiner to take custody of your Bitcoin. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin by connecting to their Ledger Live software, which is so easy to use, so easy to interface with your Bitcoin. Also, if you are an Android phone user, you can connect your Nano S to that phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. This show is also brought to you by Gemini, my new exchange sponsor, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. But as I've said in previous weeks, I'm not selling Bitcoin. There ain't no chance I'm selling my Bitcoin. So I've never even tested selling Bitcoin on Gemini because I'm a hodler and I'm holding long term. 
Now I have been using the Gemini app for buying dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys for Bitcoin. I am yet to find a better app for buying Bitcoin. They've absolutely killed it with the UX. It could not be easier to use. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And this week, we're going to finish up with BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, offering you a range of products. Now, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. Now, I have been a customer of this product for two years. I love my Bitcoin working for me. But also with BlockFi, you can take out a Bitcoin-backed loan. You can borrow against your Bitcoin without selling. And also, imminently, imminently, they're going to launch the BlockFi Rewards Visa credit card, offering you 1.5% rewards back on all card purchases paid in Bitcoin. If you're interested in finding out more, head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. So based on what you said, the, the Steph to Kelso argument, let me tell you my position. So I've, the position I hold isn't as common in Bitcoiners, or if it is, it's under the radar. I actually think there will be a symbiotic relationship with fiat currencies and Bitcoin forever. And I don't think we will lose the state. Some would disagree. My friend Robert Breedloft, big fan of the sovereign individual, he thinks this, you know, we're on a different path you know, because the logic of violence changes with technology. And I, and I love the arguments, I love the theory, but I think humans organize and they want a bit of protection want a bit of centralized protection i think what will happen is we will have some potentially some checking on the power with bitcoin but you will still have the money printer but it's it would have to be used in a more responsible way so for example you know go back to pre-71 i'm not a huge expert on the gold standard okay but there was a check on the money but it didn't stop government being able to have the ability to print money and I think that symbiotic relationship is needed. I think, I, th- I still think you need some form of way of organizing society. Because if you have the big, uh, I spoke to Scott Horton, he was like, you don't want to have the big red button to get rid of government, even though he's a libertarian. He said it'll be chaos. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is, let's say, target making it just a bit smaller. Well, it was Eric Voorhees who told me that, 1% or 5% smaller. And let's just try and check the, because it's got out of hand now. So if Bitcoin can reduce government by 1% next year, I would, I, would, I would call that a huge success. A huge success. Yeah. I don't know where... I think you and I are in different places. Well, I expected that. Yeah. I, I think I'm worried about general collapse at a level that you're not. Oh, no, I am. Okay. No, I am. But, it, but different like, types like of Like societal collapse? Yeah, be beyond. I, I, I'm worried right now that what we have is we have a technically de- demanding planet. Mm-hmm. Leadership, peacetime leadership that is completely uh, mismatched with the challenges that we actually face. A potential energy function for violence that is confusing everyone from Steven Pinker on down because... You know, this idea that in general things are as peaceful or more peaceful than they've ever been. And it's just like, wow, this forest hasn't burned for 75 years. Mm. Well, what do you think is going to happen when it does burn for the first time in 75 years? It's going to be pretty exciting. So right now what I think is that we're in a terribly dangerous situation that isn't obviously dangerous. And I'm much more concerned, I think, than you guys are. No, I, I definitely. Do you think we're in a fourth turning? 
Can, can I be straight? Yeah. I hate this stuff. Why? Well, because I've been talking recently about this as snap-to-grid intellectualism, right? We had this conversation. And yeah. snap-to-grid intellectualism is like, you said something that reminds me of something I heard. Yeah, but the and, then, and then somebody will repeat something like, you know, strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. Hard times make strong men. It always is a cycle, right? And then you just think, okay, well, that has some kind of naive hold on my mind, but let me break that for a second. Since 1952, we've had thermonuclear weapons. So don't talk to me about the fourth turning. Like, we can't afford for weak men to make hard times and know that this thing goes on forever. Yeah, Things changed huge, huge, enormous change occurred. Mm -hmm. And so my concern is I'm here to have a different conversation. I don't want to have any of, I don't want to have a Milton Friedman conversation. I don't, I don't want to have a Hayekian conversation. I don't want to have an Ayn Rand conversation. I don't want to have an MMT conversation. You guys are something new. I'm here to have a new conversation without fourth turnings. We're in deep shit. You guys are rich. You guys are talking about a new form of money that doesn't have a country to go with it. It's not a chemical element, right? What is the biggest, most beautiful future that you imagine for your families? Like, mine begins with survival. It's a no, it's a life raft right now. I, I, I believe me, I hear that. Yeah, it's, but like, what are we? Gonna, what are we going to disintermediate? Who are we going to disintermediate? What are we, what are we doing? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we can change anything, Eric. We can try. Okay, well, that's the thing. But my point is, I think we might be on this natural path to collapse or certain collapses in society. Yep. We may be on this natural path to high inflation coming soon. You know, we may be... We may, it, the reason I said the fourth turn, it's not because I believe it's going to happen, but the book's interesting because, like, same old saying, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, right? There is a lot of similarity. Perhaps this is something we can't stop. I don't know. I don't know. What do you? What, what, what are you specifically worried about? All right. I'm worried about a universe where the chairs that are supposed to be reserved for smart people have no smart people sitting in them. Well, we should probably... Rich, you want to come up here? <laughs> Are you referring <laughs> to people in government? Because we're there right now. Yeah. Not just government. And we definitely got the B team out there right now. Yeah, I'm not so sure that I'm so thrilled with our tech companies either. And I'm not so sure that I'm thrilled with our university departments. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not so thrilled yeah. with our newspapers and our news agencies. Like, more or less... This is what's interesting. This is the abundance De of information. De decentralization right? can be the not catalyst? even not not yeah the catalyst the ca okay. across all of okay. those things. Well, maybe I'll throw. Some, I just feel like it's almost impossible to have the interesting conversations anymore. I don't even know how to do it. Right. So, in part, my thought is, if you really wanted me to talk and say something that's going to piss off your audience that I find fascinating, it's how do you get a bunch of people who get decentralization? to do something centralized, right? That's hard. That's one of the reasons why I'm not totally maximalist in, in my orientation, right? At some level, you've got a bunch of hard-bitten people. We don't trust. Okay, I get it. You don't trust. Okay. You're going to have to trust. 
And you're going to have to do something centralized if you're going to do something that shows that this was what you guys said it was. Well, there's a, there's a different point here. We're decentralized. We power the platform, the protocol. Okay. You can get them t- together to centralize to go and do something external for Bitcoin. Just don't make it Bitcoin. Like you can, you can if you wanted to create the, you know, for example, uh, libertarians who are anti-politics, I, I always find that's a bit of a problem. I think if you want to attack... You're not a libertarian. I'm not. I'm... I love the ideas do you, theoretically. Do you like hanging out with libertarians? I do like hanging so out do with I. them. I love them. Right? I, I think they, the picture they paint of the world is incredible. I yeah, actually, that's, that's the problem. It's, 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 if it were credible, I'd be more excited. It's incredible. Well, it, the problem is from whatever political position you're in, you believe your story is credible and you believe others aren't credible. I was just down in El Salvador with a, 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 with a group of people. One of the girls from the US was trying to sell me a Marxism. She thinks it's great. I was like, what? Marxism. Yeah, she's trying to sell me a Marxism. The point being is from... But she, she can sell Marxism. That's, that's, she didn't, you, you have talent in sales. She, no, she didn't do a good <laughs> job. But the point being is she hates capitalism, right? Whether you're left, whether you're right, whether you're a libertarian anarchist, from where you are, you believe your picture of the world is right and everything else is nonsense. And what we haven't got is enough people trying to just trying to see everyone else's version of the world. That's what we don't have. Everyone's like, this is my fucking, yeah, it's okay. selfish. Well, but, but we're getting back to Yeah. What do you think we need to do? Just tell us. When you say centralized, what do you mean? You mean we need to go political, attack the system with our money from, and change it? You've got a survival issue. I, I, look, I, I bore myself on this topic, but this is the end game. We're watching the end game. We can't recognize that it's the end game because we're not at, you know, we're not in a shooting war with China at the moment. Yet. Okay. It's worth mentioning that Bitcoin is like firmly in the middle of US China relations. Mm-hmm. Firmly. Okay. We are in a situation in which we've got a dire economic problem, which is communism failed first. Capitalism appears not to be able to get the job done. We don't seem to be able to think much beyond communism versus capitalism. This is what's new, gentlemen. This is what's new. And we're still having old-style conversations about what's new. You're circling, I feel like you want to tell us something. And I'm like, no, I don't want to tell you anything because every time I say, I don't want to say anything like that. Because if I say, I'm Eric Weinstein and I believe X, Y, and Z, oh, Eric Weinstein thinks. Yeah, but so, I don't care about them. I care about these. That's not what I'm trying me. to say. What I'm trying to say is, I would like this to do something new beyond just be a new form of money. Well, if it doesn't want to do that, if it just wants to be a new form of money and it wants to make sure that some people, can have a have hopes and dreams for their children, and you can buy that heart operation you were hoping to get your spouse, or who knows what. Great, no arguments with it. I happen to have a different question, which is, does it solve everything? Right, that's really my question, because if it solves everything, I would know what I would want to go shopping for first. What I would want to go shopping for is a return of sense making and a lineage level solution for human survival. Now, people, they aren't used to these things, right? They say, like, like if you had a billion dollars, what would you, oh, I'd buy my, my great aunt, you know, the house she'd always want. Okay, that's great. Uh, I would like to get off this planet. 
And I would like to get off this planet with options because as we just saw under COVID, we're running one centralized experiment. Mm -hmm. And that one centralized experiment is too dangerous with this many stupid people in positions of leadership. And right now, whatever we're selecting for in terms of leadership, we used to have a lot of brutal people on the world stage who are very talented. And we have fewer brutal people on the world stage. And way less talent. And way less talent. Right? And so this idea of making everything dumber. We've had 75 years of peace that are coming due. We are out of shape. We have no idea what, it, what enforced 75 years of peace within a thermonuclear planet. And that this is coming to an end, right? So my feeling is we've had what I've called the great nap. We've had 75 years to get out of shape, to, to forget what it means to be a country, why we have centralized institutions. Nobody can even remember why we have journalists because they used to put their lives on the line to get the story and, and follow certain sorts of codes. Uh, now they seem to be, you know, a pox. On, uh, on, but you know why that is. Again, that comes down to the money. They don't have the money anymore. I mean, it's part, yeah, the internet changed things. It changed the economics of journalism. You know, and the, the economics of uh, entertainment and eyeballs completely changed. It's become about clicks. We know that. Yee, but it's not about clicks. Nothing sells journalism like Jeffrey Epstein's stories. And then you find people say, oh, people aren't interested in Jeffrey Epstein's story. Are you kidding yeah, me? Well, there's random bits of great journalism. You know, they're wrong. No, 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 but I'm trying to make it. Okay. I am failing. I desperately want to be having a different conversation. I don't know what the conversation is you want to have. I, let's start from a different perspective. Okay. Bitcoin fixes everything. Now, you don't literally believe that. I don't, I don't literally believe But somebody somehow thinks that this is a good slogan. So the question is, okay, assume that it doesn't fix everything. Assume that Bitcoin fixes a lot. Okay? That is a statement I would be up for. I think you guys would be up for it. Mm -hmm. Do we get to get to a next thing or does the Bitcoin culture... You see, the tech culture should have fixed science. But it couldn't. You know, Mark Zuckerberg and Yuri Milner, you know, came up with a prize. Let's give $3 million to people who are really good at science. Okay, well, it didn't do very much. Um, why couldn't science's little brother fix science? Well, in part because the ethos of software is we're here to destroy things that look old. Okay? And in some sense, that's where Bitcoin gets its energy. We're here to destroy things that look old and diseased and flabby. Okay, good on you. Now, what does the lesson of that destruction teach? Well, one thing it taught us in tech was don't build a new university Disintermediate. Do Khan Academy. You know? Okay. So you keep learning that lesson over and over and over again, but you never learn that there are some times when you want to go the other direction. Mm -hmm. This would be, in, in biology, this would be called regulated expression. There's some times when you want to break something up. There are other times when you want to bring something together. And it, it's not always the same thing. So my question is, does Bitcoin as a community, which of course isn't a community. It's just it's it such, is. but it's so tiresome. To, every time you say something, immediately somebody will just come back with, no, you don't understand. It's because we're decentralized. We all have different opinions. It's because <laughs> it's boring. I'm sorry to say it. It's just boring to go but, through but, this. But, but, uh, go ahead and ask a question. Okay. 
Is there a part of this community that understands time to build? Time to build the sorts of things that look awful right now, that may become awful with time. They may degrade, right? Maybe you had like Edward R. Murrow and CBS News, and maybe CBS News got horrible. But there was a period of time where CBS News really mattered. Okay? Right now, it's time to build some stuff, to search for solutions to our problems. Problems of economic distribution, post-capitalism, post-communism, what comes after both capitalism and communism? What comes after, uh, you know, ha- what comes in life cycle terms after the pill um, and um, reliable paternity tests? What comes uh, in work after telecommuting? What, I mean, we, we've, we've got 75 years of pent-up questions where we stayed in a stasis, where we're leading archaic lives in general. And everyone knows that our lives don't really make sense anymore. We have archaic money. We have archaic uh, national stories. Okay, it's time for something new. And Bitcoin is a constructive story about destroying the old. But I'm looking for more of a story, given that it's the money. And the reason that money is so important is, is that it, it's fungible and allows us to do everything else. Right now, I would like to build a strategy for looking for human survival situations. Maybe that can only be done in, in the fiat world. Maybe the, the maybe? maybe the story of Bitcoin is, is is the only way to win is not play, radical individualism. You know, a lot of them are anonymous. Then maybe I want to go back to the you just made the single best case for going back to something that I don't want to do. I don't want to go back into the fiat world. I want it to be Bitcoin and things of that nature. If the idea is, is that that Bitcoin kind of mentality is so rooted in not centralizing, not having leaders, not, you know, no trust. If the problem is, is that all of that is co-traveling, that is the overlearned message that comes from having to deal with central bankers. That comes to, have to, to dealing with lying activists posing as journalists that come to that comes from looking at uh, citation cartels inside of academics where people are just so deep in the political economy that they've stopped caring about their subjects. Okay, so I keep hearing this thing is honest. It's, you know, it fixes things. And well, the question is, does it? Does Is there enough trust in this community? Is there enough that's positive and pro-social that allow the wealth that has accumulated under this to now do beautiful, amazing things. Yeah, so it, it sounds like what you're talking about in some cases would be like patronage. Like it would be like, what is the group of Bitcoiners, if they, if they become wealthy by owning a lot of Bitcoin, what some subset of, of those Bitcoiners are going to decide that, uh, you know, getting human species living on other planets is very, very important. And they're going to, um, dedicate resources to trying to push that forward. And, um, you know, I think from, from a government perspective, I think part of the reason why, and, and there's plenty of, 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 of Bitcoin for, folks that are more on the like theoretical side of things, uh, spend more time thinking about stuff like that, that have views of what this world is going to look like after Bitcoin kind of quote unquote wins. But I, I think a lot of us are more focused on what is the path going to look like as Bitcoin 
gears up to increasingly fight the fight against governments and against fiat currencies so that there, there is some amount of struggle to imagine what comes after that because, because we don't know what either the timing or the specifics around what that fight's going to look like. Maybe we don't like. know either. Maybe we well, I think you don't know. And I also yeah. think, let me be blunt about it. I also feel that people, you know, you know that part of that meme, I just found out about Bitcoin and I'm here to save it or mm -hmm. something like this. Mm -hmm. um, maybe in part, I feel like I've been fighting some fights since the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. And then Bitcoin comes around, you know, 2009, 2010. And it's the newcomer on the block. And I'm super excited to see it. But I want to go back to fighting the fights that I was fighting in the early 1990s, one of which is about inflation. Let me just make very clear about it. I don't think the economics uh, profession knows how to measure inflation. Oh, I think they know. I just don't think they want to. Oh, no. I don't think they the, know. Well, the, uh, the, the economics, what, department of the government? No, no. The, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is the ones who are tasked in the United States with publishing the CPI mm -hmm. and the variants of CPI. They are trained inside of the university system. I don't think academic economists know how to measure inflation, even theoretically. Like the two ways in which they would like this number to go down, you see, because when, when the inflation estimate goes down, that means that tax brackets don't get indexed up. So they get to tax us more and they get to give us less in terms of entitlements that are cost of living adjusted. Now, the two things that they know to bring down that number, right? That CPI number um, that are clearest theoretically is one, they say it shouldn't be a fixed basket, right? So imagine that we have, we have tea and we have coffee. If the cost of coffee goes way up because there's a frost, let's say, um, unseasonably cold temperatures in the coffee growing regions. If I'm indifferent between the two, I just switch to tea. And if you give me the money needed to buy back even amounts of coffee and even amounts of tea, uh, I'm going to use almost all of that money not to purchase coffee, which is very expensive. I'm just going to buy tea because I'm equally as happy and spend the rest on cocaine, let's say, something. And in that world, um, you're not talking about a cost of living adjustment because I should be able to say, I only need to compensate you to make you equally happy. I don't need to compensate you to buy back whatever you had previously purchased only to watch you use the money totally differently than I was expecting. The other thing they know how to do is something called chaining. Now, chaining really just means going towards the continuum limit. Instead of checking every year, I'm going to check every quarter. Maybe I'm going to check every month or every day or every hour or every minute, and I'm going to compare the prices and quantities. And so as you go to, towards that continuum limit, you get a different decrease usually in the rate of inflation. But we don't know how to chain a cost of living adjustment because then it ends up picking up your changes in taste. And the dirty little secret of neoclassical economics is that as soon as your tastes change, the entire theory of human welfare in economics falls apart. Okay? And so what they've done is they've got an elaborate 
Do, do you remember seeing this picture of J-Lo uh, in the Versace dress, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, nobody can figure out exactly how this thing is staying together. And it seems like the tiniest stitch goes wrong and the whole thing blows apart. That's modern neoclassical economic theory with respect to the changing preference hypothesis, which is they claim just don't allow people to form different tastes from each other or from themselves a minute ago and everything will be fine. But if you move, the whole thing is going to blow apart. Now, as a result of this, yes, I'm going to make a very strong claim. Economics doesn't know how to calculate the rate of inflation because they need something called gauge theory. And because they don't know gauge theory, and because they don't understand inflation, and because they want to preserve the freedom of the Bureau of Labor St uh, Statistics or of the Fed or whoever puts together GDP uh, and productivity gauges, they want the freedom to make things up as they go along. And I've been like, I want to take that freedom away. You say, trust, we don't trust, we verify, right? Mm -hmm. I want to disintermediate economists. You're angry at all central bankers. I'm going to one-up you. I'm angry at neoclassical economists who pretend that they know what's going on and they don't know what's going on. Here's a problem that I have. I want to drive home to the economics profession that they not only don't know how to calculate inflation, but if anybody shows up who does understand gauge theory, who does understand uh, how to calculate inflation, they will destroy that person's career so that they can continue to do what they do. Now, if Bitcoin solves everything... Help me construct something to show that the people who are tasked with constructing our rates of inflation and our rates of productivity growth are not using state-of-the-art theory. I'm not even talking about how to turn this into something practical that can be computed every month. Even their theory is wrong. Why, though? Like, we see the CPI calculations... We all know it's bullshit. We see. You the say we all know it's bullshit, but if we are all forced to to pay our taxes relative to a CPI-adjusted tax bracket, if we are forced to expect our Social Security or Medicare payments based on a cost-of-living adjustment, then in a certain sense, it's not bullshit. It's very much like... But how are you going to enforce that? How are you going to, how are you going to have the policy change so you do? I'm trying to get into a fight with the economics profession because I know things that they don't know how to do. And they want to say that they are in a position to peer review me. I'm saying, okay, great. Let's do it out in the open. Send me your smartest economist. Whoever she or he may be. Is it Janet Yellen? Is it Paul Krugman? Send me whoever the smartest economist. Definitely not Janet Yellen. Or Krugman. Maybe it's yeah. Janet Yellen. Who knows? Krugman hates Bitcoin. It doesn't matter. I'm trying to say something else to you guys. Yeah, Maybe I it's know. Not, no, no, it's no, not no, no, no. We're, 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 we're here. Okay. They don't know how to calculate inflation. They don't know gauge theory. They don't understand why the marginal revolution ends up in gauge theoretic economics. They've lied about preferences. They've lied about tastes. Right? They, they've gotten so much firepower behind this lie that our tastes don't change and that they're the same for, between you and me. This was written into a 1977 paper by two supposed Nobel laureates, Becker and Stigler, called De Gustibus Non Est Disputandum. And they said, the tastes are like the Rocky Mountains. They are unchanging, and they are the same to all men. F these people. Seriously, I'm just tired of this. These guys aren't that smart. They don't know that much math. 
They go into every other field. They have something literally called economic imperialism, as if this is a great thing. And they will write, we know more math, so we have the right to invade every other subject. Time to invade economics, gentlemen. Let's go. Yeah. All right. But what I'm trying to say is yeah. it's the economic heft of the Bitcoin community that can make this happen. I've been trying to do this through intellectual interchange since, I don't know, almost 30 years. How do we know you're right and we should put our weight behind you, though? Well, I wouldn't trust. I would verify. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. First. I know. But what I'm trying to say is, is that... Like, who else is... I'll tell you what. Who else is behind... Like, I'll tell you what. Who else are you talking about gauge theory with? Like, where is the gauge theory movement? Or is it just you I'm, as a solo warrior? More or less. I mean, Juan Maldacena wrote an article about this when he was given the $3 million prize. Uh, he did not initially cite our work, but he did uh, after he was reminded that he had, did not originally cite our work. Um, but yeah, it's just me and my wife. Could you be wrong? We can find out. You see, if we were to take, for example, the Boskin Commission, which was mm -hmm. the first attempt to revisit the construction of the CPI from the perspective of senior economists tasked by the government. What year was that? 1996, something yeah. like that. In the beginning of their report, they, had, they tried to show why we needed to move towards cost of living. And they had a, a too good toy example, maybe chicken and beef, and two sets of prices. Well, if you, if you hypothesize that the consumer was given by the most common form of an idealized preference map, called a Cobb-Douglas function. Preferences would have to have changed between the two periods that the Boskin Commission wrote down. Right? I can back that out. Okay. They can't linearly interpret, interpolate uh, prices and preferences given by the Cobb-Douglas linearly between time zero and time one and compute the rate of inflation because they claim that the index would not exist, technically called a Lasper's-Conus index, uh, if you allow um, the CONUS index to have changing preferences, they can't compute it. We can. I can give you a number. Mm -hmm. And then you can ask, well, can they, you know, maybe they can compute it. But I can, I can promise you that in their literature, they claim not only haven't they computed this, but it is impossible. Work of uh, Fisher and Shell claims that it is impossible to have a changing preference um, in that cost of living adjustment. Well, the the answer is that the U.S. government do, like doesn't want the accurate measurement. They don't want. I wouldn't say it that way. I would say they don't want it something where they're not allowed to toy with it by construction. Mm -hmm. So my goal and because your goal, they want to just, control the money. Well, this is this is this is where our commonality and mm -hmm. our difference occurs. So my perspective, again, I. Look, I'm not smart enough to come up with Bitcoin. It's an ingenious thing, never thought of it. We were smart enough to come up with the fact that they don't compute inflation correctly and they don't compute productivity correctly because they don't know enough differential calculus, to be blunt. And because they don't know enough differential calculus in order to make these computations, they've retained rights. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll do a little bit of hedonic adjustment. Maybe we'll do a little bit of outlet bias. Maybe we'll... Um, you know, do a little bit more chaining. And so by, by saying that it's an art, it's not a science, there's nothing, you know, absolute, they've retained the freedom yeah. to mess with our money. 
and to mess with our statistics. So this is really where I come to you from. My context okay. is, well, you want to show me how brilliant you guys are? Shut down not only the economists at the Fed, but also shut down the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the hand-chosen experts. I'm going to claim right now, I don't think Paul Krugman knows how to do a cost-of-living adjustment uh, with chaining towards the continuum if preferences are shifting. I don't think that this field is mature enough intellectually to peer-review its own challenges. Well, just, just going to be honest, we just did a whole 15-minute segment where I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> we're in a whole like, different world. But I think I get what you're saying is, let's prove them wrong. I don't understand no, gauge theory. I don't know. Any, you guys say things. Again, you can say we don't, but Bitcoin solves everything. I'm getting bored of this. If Bitcoin solves everything, hey, here's something right in your wheelhouse. It, it, it's, think of this as a high, Bitcoin can't fix that. That's people who fix it. No. People, you know, you, what you need is people to help. I don't know what Bitcoin theory. solves everything means. What does Bitcoin fix everything mean? It's a, it's, a, it's a meme. Okay, what does that mean? The meme means fix the money, fix the world. The, the biggest problem in the world at the yeah. moment is cheap Sorry, credit. Sorry, but I still don't understand. It means something. I'm a literal guy, right? One of these guys on the autism mm. spectrum. What does it mean? Are we fixing things? Because like, I would imagine one of the first things that Bitcoiners would want to do would be stop economists from computing the rate of inflation however they want. Yeah, but, I would, they, but I would they are imagine. attacking that. They are attacking that. No, I would, I would agree with that. But the, yeah. the, to, to Peter's point about it, it's people in government that uh, right now, the way it's structured can affect change in, in that way. And I think you slowly over the coming years and decades are going to have increasingly more individuals that align with Bitcoin's potential and its principles that will enter into the U.S. government. And at some point, you may be able to get um, some status quo around that. And we're starting to, we're starting to make progress. Cynthia, Cynthia Loomis, senator from Wyoming, she's on the Senate Banking Committee, card-carrying Bitcoiner. Do you know what it is? It's the narratives that we have. Wait, 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 wait a second. What you just did there. I don't want to do that. That's the same thing that got us into trouble with Elon. A card-carrying Senate, it's like, if we're serious about this, yeah. F the Senate. Look, I, I want to put this idea directly across to you guys because I want to hear it fail in the right way. I want to go to war with the idea that the economists are intellectually capable of doing what they say they're doing. Well, you should sign up to Marty Bent's email. Listen, th these conversations are happening but they, ha they haven't gone mainstream out of the bit. It's the Bitcoin okay. that's talking about them. I understand this. So I'm, I'm coming back to this. Right now, I want, to, I want to make a frontal intellectual assault on the Bureau of Labor Statistics' rights, ability, and intellectual capability to calculate rates of inflation according to a theory which they have, in fact, got wrong. Let's fucking go. Okay. I don't know how to do that. I've been trying to do that since you know, this is this is where I come from, right? I th I th okay, so you understand the theory. What you maybe you need some PR, maybe, but Bitcoin solves this. Bitcoin fixes this. In other words, every time I try to lean on Bitcoin fixes this, the podium gives way. Okay, so I just keep thinking. Okay, here I am trying to lean on Bitcoin fixes this. If Bitcoin, yeah, but you're, you're you're confusing what humans can do and what a protocol can. Sorry, do. Sorry, I don't really understand this. Are we in agreement? 
that one of the greatest reasons for Bitcoin's success is that we're afraid of a printing press. I am afraid of a printing press. You guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. One of the reasons I'm afraid of the printing press is redistribution. Another reason is inflation. Mm-hmm. Some of those are connected. Would we agree that humiliating those economists who tell the rest of us to F off, we're smarter than they are. Let, let, let me what? make a different... I think I know what you're saying, Travis. Think about it like this. We, we all know that inflation is calculated in a subjective way that allows the money printer to go on, right? We've had the energy FUD recently, and whether you agree or not with what Michael Saylor did, he was trying to build the narrative so they actually have the data so mm-hmm. when anyone, that fucking idiot Sorkin from the New York Times or the people of Bloomberg or the FT, when they go and print their bullshit, we have to go, no, we have actual data, you're entirely wrong. And we have data that is both... Uh, 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 allows us to look at the miners ourselves inside our industry, but compare it to other industries. And we can go, you are wrong. So I think what Eric's is saying is like similar. We all know inflation's bullshit. We keep saying it. Krugman put something up on Twitter and the Bitcoin is part of it. But I, we don't have the the actual data to go, here, your statistics, like journalists well, There's the data ignore. and there's also the theory. Yeah. Really what would be very valuable to me is I would like to get into a fight with any leading economist... Well, the Bitcoiners will be with you for that. Okay. I don't know that they will or they won't, right? But we'll find out. Mm. Okay. My claim is, is that the theoretical basis of a cost of living adjustment, which is what they say that inflation should be based on, cost of living standard. If you chain a cost of living with changing preferences, the current theory collapses. They want a chain and they want a cola. They want to measure the inflation. They want to tell us where to get off. My feeling is, over my dead body, you're not intellectually competent. Okay? Now, that's a huge statement. I'm not an economist by any standard measure. I'm willing to go on the show and and say I'm an economist simply for the pleasure of getting an economist to say, that guy doesn't know anything about economics. He doesn't know anything about theories of inflation. Okay? Right now, I want to drag this back to an old fight between Irving Fisher... And Ragnar Frisch, Irving Fisher, wrote down a whole bunch of axioms that said how you measure inflation. And Ragnar Frisch said, you know what? If you impose all of those axioms, there is no gauge that will work. I can prove that there will be no gauge that will work of inflation. The resolution of that is that one of Fisher's axioms was wildly off, right? And it says that if prices and quantities begin and end at the same levels, in rate of inflation should be 1.00, i.e. no inflation. Okay, Fisher was wrong about that. That's coming from what I call the Flat Earth Society of Economics. What I'm trying to say is, you guys are rich. You're powerful. You're in the headlines all the time. You're whining and complaining about inflation. I don't want to whine and complain about inflation. I want to go pick a fight with the supposed people who tell us that they're smart enough to manage our economy. And all of these people who go out to, you know, Jackson Hole, Wyoming in the summer and who put on suits and ties and, and, and have these resonant, re- resonant baritone voices and tell us what reality is and isn't, I don't think they're that smart. you got to find I, a way of selling at them. No. I don't know how to fix everything. But Bitcoin does. And so what I keep trying to say is you're rich, you're focused on inflation, and you don't like to be told what to do by people who are dumber than you are, who have beautiful 
you know, titles and they sit in fine chairs at wonderful institutions. All I'm trying to say is, I don't know, do you guys want to do something or not? If you don't want to do something, feel free. We can sit around whining about inflation and the fact that they, they don't know how to compute it. Or we can actually take the fight to them where they live because they're not intellectually capable of actually returning fire. Now, I can't figure out how to get this issue off of my plate and onto yours. But if I were you, I'd go directly after the Bureau of Labor Statistics and say, you guys are using what? A chain less pairs, con conus, cola, something? How do you come up with the, this basket? Are you sure that you know that, that inflation isn't at... But it's too... This is the point. This, you get into these areas... I don't actually... You lose people. I don't care. But you do care. No, but I don't. You can't do that. You can't error. You can't say, like, I want this. No, I can give you... These, I can write something down to show you exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then you can say, oh, it's over my pay grade. And then somebody else can say, this is, you know, too complicated. And somebody else can say, this isn't data-driven. Okay. Then Bitcoin can't do everything. You want to go and pick a fight... I'm telling you, you've got to wake it, make it a way that it's e easier to digest you, and understand. You that guys you figure that out. Be, but <laughs> no, no, look, I, I can write down what I'm saying write okay, it down. mathematically. Okay. And somebody in the community can figure out what I'm saying. But that's not the energy behind it. The energy behind it is I take you guys literally when you say fix the money, fix the world, or Bitcoin fixes everything, or you know what we're really against is central banking and hyperinflationary and blah, blah, blah. Honestly, I don't see you guys as being part of the fight against neoclassical economics. I see you guys as talking about Austrian economics amongst yourselves. I see, but in order to take, to, 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 to flex this stuff, you actually have to beat them. And I'm going to say it in, in, in terms that we learned from Morpheus. Morpheus says something to Neo, like, I'm not going to lie to you, Neo. Anyone who's ever stood his ground to fight an agent has lost and died. Okay, everyone who takes on neoclassical economics, maybe with the exception of Daniel Kahneman, fails. We don't know why. It's time to take this thing on, gentlemen. And, and, and what I really mean is it's not that smart. And we need to basically make the point, Paul Krugman isn't that smart. Well, I think we're all in agreement on that. No, he's pretty smart. Well, he's not Ken Arrow. Yeah. Ken Arrow is really smart. He's smart if you believe his Keynesian theory of economics or his. It's not that he he became something else. He was really a pretty good, pretty great economist. It doesn't matter. Hmm. What I'm trying to say is, it's time to pick a fight with neoclassical economics, and I see you guys as being sort of inward looking. I don't think that's fair. We're definitely outward looking. All right. Well, then let's pick a fight with these guys. Or you know what? I, I don't really know where we are. <laughs> uh, more or less, my feeling about this and the reason to have yeah, me yeah. on the show and, and, and to talk about markets is, is that I am convinced that we are being called upon to create something that isn't capitalism, isn't communism, doesn't use fiat money, that understands how many unincorporated externalities exist in markets, that understand the danger of markets as a runaway automated process. As much as I hate having Janet Yellen tell me what to do, I also hate the idea of being hooked up to a potential doomsday machine, which can't be interfered with if it starts to become that AGI that we worry about being told that it has to make paperclips. And one of the great dangers of Bitcoin that we're seeing 
is maybe the idea of having something so decentralized actually winds up undoing everything because effectively there isn't anyone in control. We don't know. Maybe we do need to unwind everything. Maybe. I'm not, but you know, you say that casually. No, I'm not. You've got kids on this. No, listen, look, I I don't know the answer. Part of this is like Balaji's line of thinking is that you're going to undergo this like multi-decade reorganization of how groups of people come together and that the internet makes makes everybody, you know, like that you can just come together in these these communities that have much more uh, uh, acute belief systems and that uh, just over time, the concept of a nation state is going to start to dismantle and people are going to be you know, local is going to matter more because it's 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 who you're physically around. But you're going to spend more and more time in in a digital space, and you're just going to choose very specifically who you're going to connect to in that in that digital space. And you know, TBD on. I mean, you can. I think you can imagine fifty years from now. Uh, you know, lots of little factions, and um, you know where war fits into all that. Um, I, wouldn't pretend you know what no, Breedlove but... would be saying here? If Breedlove was, he would be talking about the logic of violence and that technology changes the logic of violence. And, you know, not always, you know, not always can we say it's for the better. Sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better. Maybe we just are having to go through this shift right now. We can't change it. Maybe the forces at hand are too big. Maybe, but right now I'm feeling like we don't have much time. And by not much time, I mean a few hundred years at the outset. So it's not like by next Thursday we better have a solution. Right. But I, I do think we're playing Russian roulette as of now. Yep. It's just the, the the gun has an enormous number of chambers that are hollow, right, that are, that are empty. And, and as a result, um, it feels like we have a lot of time. But really what we have is, is that we have a very small amount of time. And I guess what I'm... T- What's the action? What's the action then? What are you saying next? Uh, look, I, I, I want to do next level. What do I want to do next? What are we doing next? I want to get institutions that can actually pay people who are heterodox and, and make them... I want to redistribute fuck, fuck you money before we redistribute regular money. Just come down to El Salvador and see where that's being redistributed to change things there. It's well, interesting. I'll talk to you about it off this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. But I, I really think that the biggest problem is that the people we need to be fat and happy and working on next-level stuff are in general under somebody else's thumb. Mm. Well, listen, and so one of the things that's really important to me is giving more people use of their middle finger who are actually trying to build and do things. And in general, what I find is that there isn't a lot of ethos around making... I want to empower the people who are going to take down these structures who actually maybe know what they're doing or what they're talking about differently than I want to empower everybody who has the ability to get rich. Well, listen, what I will say, and and I think a thought to leave you with is that what I know amongst the Bitcoiners is they don't trust and they're very distrusting of the education system and the institutions and and, uh, the media industry and yada, yada. They're getting really fucking rich and they do distribute their money and they maybe are distributing that money to okay. projects they care about, like interesting, different kinds of projects. So are they, I can't imagine that they don't want to take out neoclassical economics. It, you, you can't speak for, for you, can, you can't speak for individuals or them as a group, but no, there I'm will just be saying someone. I, 
There will be someone. Where is the well? well a lot of them are going to hear this. Where yeah. is so the well healed? Yeah. Where is the well healed group that wants to t- to tell neoclassical economists to shut the hell up? Hey, listen, a lot of them will. Okay, especially the Austrian. So that's one thing that is really important to me. Another thing that's really important to me is we got to get back to science. And if everybody's worried about losing their job every time they open their mouth, right? They didn't say something that was diverse enough, inclusive enough, oh, and we had all enough agree e- on this. equity. What? We all agree on this one. No, we don't. No, we do. Well, we 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 do. But look, I don't have the money to uh, found a new science institute. So let me know when one of these people who does have enough money to found a new science institute founds a new science institute. How much do you need? Hundreds of millions. What do you got? Well, it's pocket change for a few of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not pocket change for anyone. For a few. One of the things. Having hung out with billionaires, I now can say one of the sad features that I did not, because I didn't hang out with billionaires up until 10, 15 years ago at at all. I didn't know any. Nobody's got a a spare million bucks. You hear people, oh, a million is nothing to him. That's like chump change. No, I've now met enough people who are seriously rich to tell you that a million dollars is not chump change to any one of these people. So... The, Mike Lazaridis endowed the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics. I think was it Citicorp, Citigroup did the Santa Fe Institute. I don't see anything that is trying to endow something new. You know, Bill Gates, who came from the traditional and traditional economy, you know, probably did more trying to get you know, Sal Khan and the Khan Academy going on, then I've seen coming the energy coming out of the Bitcoin universe. So my, my feeling about this is that I'm somewhat watching a different version of the tech money, where the tech money came with the tech ideology. Software eats the world. And that was inhibiting, inhibitory of any attempt to actually rebuild the world. Well, why, why rebuild the world if software is there to eat it? Well, in, in some sense, the problem with Bitcoin is, is that it's going to put the money in the hands of people who understand that certain central f- features need to be decentralized. But there are other things that need to be re-centralized, right? And that's going to be a much harder lesson to a group of people. And, and trust is important, right? Trust is, yes, it's, it's true that sometimes you can't trust other people, but sometimes you have to. And if you can't figure out how to get to trust, to re-centralization, to building, in some sense, you're just one more utopian community that came through promising everything to everyone and you couldn't deliver. And so the reason that I stay on this is, is that when somebody says Bitcoin fixes that, Bitcoin fixes everything, I get real dumb. I say, great, because I've got a laundry list of things. That yeah. I, and then people say, oh, well, Bitcoin I, I, can't fix this. It can't. And then if like, I understand the call to then action. Then shut the fuck up. Yeah, it's a meme, though. It's a bit like when it's somebody... A, but have fun no, but that's, calls a meme, but, but that, they say it to Elon no, Musk. No, no, no. It's a meme. Actually, it's not a meme. No, no I, I, because I, I understand When you point, say though. that, what you're doing is you're playing the Mott and Bailey game. Oh, no, no, no. We didn't really mean that. Yes, you did. Semi-mean. It's a, it's a, like, no, it's no, a meme. No, no, no. You know what memes are exaggerations? I get really dumb. Maybe you mean it, maybe you don't. Do you? I think you don't. Well, some people do. I don't think they mean it. Hmm. I think that the the people with Bitcoin wealth don't mean it. I think that the point is, is that when it comes, that we have a huge number of problems. Now, the reason I bring up the inflation problem is, is that it's the clearest indication to me that the community doesn't even care about what the community cares about. 
Yeah, I, I, again, I disagree with you. I, I mentioned Marty Bent. I mean, he's re- he's regularly talking about this, and there are other people having the conversation. They care about the inflation problem. Maybe they just don't want to attack it the way you do. That's fine. Or they haven't. That it doesn't your fix idea. it. But I'm trying. We're not understanding each other. What I'm trying to say is, I happen to be in possession of a piece of knowledge, and that is, is that. All of neoclassical economics is vulnerable to the changing preference problem in ordinal welfare theory. But I this, also, is, this is a claim. This is your claim. Yeah, but it's a mathematical claim. Well, I, I can show you what the the paradox it results in. Yeah, but what's the process that should go through? Is it paper, peer reviewed, tested? Like, uh, you, you, no, yeah. well, it has to be sold to people. Okay, assume that I give you a paper. Yes. Forget about peer review. Assume that I give you a paper which shows what the solution is, shows you places in the literature that says that this problem can't be solved. So on the one hand, it's a backwards compatible solution that is claimed, and another, it's claimed that no solution can exist. My point isn't about gauge theoretic economics in this particular issue. It's, this is an opportunity to show you that the economists are not honest. They are not the experts, and they are not honest. Their process of peer review should naturally result in this thing being accepted. Yes, it does everything that the old system could do, plus it does new things, plus it contradicts the claim that we made in our own literature that this is impossible. Right Now, what is the goal of that? The goal of that is not even the construction of an inflation gauge. It is to say, you economists are not the experts on markets. Are we clear? Right? That's the point. Which is going on offense against the world's most offensive community. This is the world's number one offensive community intellectually. No other community that I'm aware of would put imperialism after their subject matter. Can you imagine biologists talking about biological imperialism? I, I wouldn't imagine thinking about that. Yeah, well, what I'm trying to say is econo- economists talk about economic imperialism. Mm-hmm. It's time for them to suffer a serious intellectual defeat so that the rest of us can get at our own economy. But the intellectual defeat has to be one that works. It has to Look, be. I, I, I can't say it a million times. There's a... a problem of the theoretical construction of an inflation gauge. Currently, that is something called a conus index. Mm. You either know about conus indices or you don't. If you don't, that's fine. Nope. Okay. Cost of living adjustment is based on a conus index. Mm -hmm. Conus indices are based on welfare, a theory of welfare. Then there's an issue of something called chaining. Are you familiar with chaining? Nope. Okay. So chaining and cost of living adjustments are the two ingredients here. And they're based on a theory of preferences over market choices. I want to show that this community is too intellectually corrupt to manage our markets. That is my point. But take my feedback, okay? I think the pieces that you are missing is a way of the average person being able to digest this because I think a lot of people know that this is important. You're like, so send me a bunch of interns. What I'm saying? No, no, no. no, no. no. Send me a bunch of interns and we'll do it in a, in a studio and you guys will tell me, but 
I don't want to do this, right? What's boring me about this? Yeah, but you're contradicting yourself now. You said, I want to go to war. Yeah. Okay, but then hear me out. What I'm saying is the piece you're missing is like a lot of this stuff that just goes over people's heads. It's like you talk about a whole bunch of concepts and bring them together. And honestly, I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? And I, am I an idiot? Or no, it's no, like no. everyone. Come on. It's, it's, it's like... no, what I'm saying is that all, all you need is a way of making that to trans, translate. Trust me, as someone whose job it is, like I am known for doing a show that gets people to break things down so the every man can understand it. Do you have a whiteboard? What? No. I'll, I'll do it right here for you on a whiteboard. <laughs> Travis has to go to dinner. <laughs> next next episode. Next episode. I think no, no, I'm I'm not that I'm with you, I'm not against you. What I'm saying is if I don't understand, I don't understand. Then maybe it's pointless. Maybe it, no, we, no, no, no. You're giving up because you're giving it's up. It's not that I'm giving up. I, I have to figure out where let me give you my calculation. Yeah. My issue is I have a different issue than the rest of you. Many of you guys don't want to be under anyone's thumb. The libertarian wing of your community is like don't okay, tell- well, I've agreed I'm not I in know, that. I know, Don't tell me what to do, man. Well, I have some of that in me, even though I'm not a libertarian. Mm-hmm. But my th- feeling is slightly, slightly smaller, right? My feeling is if you're dumber than I am and you're not public-spirited, I don't want your hands on the wheel. If you're smarter than I am and you're public-spirited, we can talk about it. But if you're dumber and you're not public-spirited, there's no way in the world I want you telling me what to do. What if you're dumber and public-spirited? I don't think they are dumber and public-spirited. It's an interesting puzzle. What if they're smarter and not public-spirited? Hmm. Okay. I, all I'm saying is like we could, we could do circles. I know, but I'm, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is I want the people who currently are pretending that they know enough about the e- economy to force... I want them to be forced to admit, yeah, we don't know how to do stuff. Yeah, and what I'm telling you is that I think to get there, my personal experience, is that you you need to find a way of making this so everyone can understand. And when I say that, then not to say you don't care. Like, No, it's not that, You clearly Peter, care. If I, if, if I have a board and we spend an hour and a half, right? Next trip. <laughs> then, then the objection becomes something else. Okay. And then the objection becomes something else. My feeling is I'm 55 years old. I'm going to be checked out. You know, in 40 years' time, I'm out of this place. Okay? I don't want to have a non-convergent conversation. What I want to do is I want to disintermediate the people who've stepped forward and say, we are the smart people. And my feeling is, no, you're not. And in part, you know, part of, of celebrating Satoshi and saying, you know, Janet Yellen isn't our A-team intellectually. I don't know who Satoshi is, but Satoshi... You know, in the internet language, Satoshi greater than Yellen. Okay? So, this is supposed to be the smart kids. I want to go to war with the theory that has us under somebody else's thumb. Because whether whether it's Paul Krugman or, you know, Marty Feldstein, uh, you know, in the old days, somebody was always telling us, Alan Greenspan, okay, the oracle has spoken. I'm anti-Oracle. And the most important thing to being anti-Oracle is to say, you guys always claim that you're the smartest people in the room. You claim that you have the right to be in sociology, in psychology, in every field weaker than you are. Okay? Are you talking about us? The big no, 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 no. The central banking, yeah. neoclassical economy. Yeah. So I, I keep thinking, oh, okay, so you guys have a problem with my enemy. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to be my really close friends. Yeah. yeah but we are. 
Well, that's okay. why we want to have this conversation. Everyone's going to listen to this. I, I, I think that I think that there would be a general view uh, amongst a, a lot of Bitcoiners that you wouldn't affect change by calling them out. Like we all like like go, go log onto YouTube and watch a, a uh, Jerome Powell live press conference. And in the comment section on the YouTube video, all it is is people going, money printer go burr and buy Bitcoin. That's And you sit there and you go, Bitcoin is, if it succeeds, going to dismantle all of this. And, uh, you know, calling it out, whether or not it, it, it's with a, a research paper or whether it's, you know, just you know, yelling as loud as you can, it's not going to make them change. They're not going to no, change their so, actions. Put some money behind it. You guys are money people. You you love money. You talk about money constantly. I keep talking about this technology. People bang me on the head, right? Hey, Eric, wake up. It's money. Okay, it's money. You're rich. You're rich. You're so incredibly rich. You bought planes with your Bitcoin. Fantastic. You bought private islands. Love it. Why don't you put some money into disintermediating the people who are constantly going to keep you sidelined. I get and that. You're not, you're not doing that. Or why don't you put some money into physics research trying to get us off the planet? You're not doing that. So then the point is, okay, but I bought my mother uh, a new, new house. It's like, awesome, wonderful. I'm so, well, you don't understand, that's freedom. I get I, it. I think you're miscategorized. I think that narrative is miscategorized in a group. Of Please people tell me. Look, of course, some people are going to buy themselves some nice things. At some no, no, point. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. But the point being who is, who doesn't like, want to buy themselves? That's not my point. My point is, you're not. They've got I'm, different I'm, agendas from you, maybe. No, they. Okay, this this is just it, it, it's irritating for the following reason. When you have a leading brand, which is X solves everything, and then you don't want it to get hit, you say it's just a meme, and then you say, you know, actually the community this, and then you say, okay, well. I test the community. Actually, there is no community. It's just like, okay, is this all Quicksilver? It, 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 well, so-and-so speaks for our community. Really, they speak for your... No one speaks for our community. Oh, shit. Trust, you know, we don't trust, we verify. Oh, but we trusted Elon. Oh, but now we don't trust Elon. It's just like, okay, let's calm down. What is a statement? What does Bitcoin fix? And who do you trust? And where is the community? And who more or less is thought to be an important voice in it? Because otherwise, it's just like the contradiction of the last thing somebody said. It's a, it's a, it's you just, should read Sailor. Is, no, no, does Sailor just, speak for the community? Not at all. Well, it's okay. just, it is, uh, the, the reality of it, it's, it's a moving feast. It changes, it evolves, Great. it changes shape. It's, so like it's, a, a, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, like a brain. Terminator 2. And it's learning, yeah, yeah, Terminator 2. Okay, yes. so, yes. I try to break into the cinema to see that because they uh, wouldn't let me in. Okay, but the Terminator 2 thing, so yeah. it's shape-shifting. It's Quicksilver. Yeah. You don't understand it. You understand it's Zen. And it's learning. But that also makes it much less interesting. I mean, in part, the idea is, I, I very specifically don't think that we're going to get rid of government. Government yeah, is going to continue. I agree. I don't think we're going to get rid of all fiat currency for various reasons. Mm -hmm. I do think that we have a, an upcoming rendezvous where sovereign... I think there's going to be a lot of pressure to make Bitcoin highly regulated. There already is in places. 
And it really bothers me about what's coming. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to disintermediate the blockchain because I didn't want things to be traceable even if everything was anonymous. And then I understand, okay, well, we founded it on this. And so if you take that away, you're, you're attacking. At the end of the day, it's very intellectually unsatisfying to be caught in the same conversations when you see a world that you want to get to. And every time you try to hit one of the claims of the community that you think that can get you to that next level, you run up against a different claim of the community, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's part of what the frustration is. The part of the frustration is, is that I saw Bitcoin really early on and got wildly excited about it. And I, and I wrote this thing, please check out Go Virtual Young Man. Um, and then it just doesn't, like, same world. I'm still looking at the same world. I'm looking at a, a different group of people who've gotten some control over their own lives by believing in something heterodox that worked. And I think that's beautiful and it's wonderful. But man, I was excited about this beyond that. I was excited about this as a society world-changing event and, and, and maybe is. the problem is, is that I got excited in 2010 and I got excited because I thought that, this, that there was more, that Bitcoin was more. In my own mind, I saw distributed computing as we can port the conservation laws of the physical world into the digital layer. We can reestablish ourselves in some reflection of ourselves inside of our computers. We can take the network of computers and turn it into something like the space-time um, substrate, you know? And we can have, just as gold travels on the space-time substrate, we could have digital gold traveling here. And gold has no stench. So we could get rid of the stench, right? That was, that was sort of my thinking. And then I had this idea that from the early 90s, markets are just gauge theory. And you know what? Gold, which is a physical system of quarks and leptons, is also just gauge theory. And there's some sort of beautiful hope that we would do something that would be radically different, that would be beyond capitalism, beyond communism, beyond this planet, and really reflect on some sort of world-changing potential. And I guess the thing that I'm seeing is it's just like, okay, somebody came up with a new fucking meme. No or laser way. eyes or, no. oh, you know, toxicity is our best feature because it tells people who don't belong here to go away. It's like, whatever, I'm getting fucking tired. Uh, listen, we do have to get near to a wrap-up because the man has a dinner booked and uh, these guys are over. I, I'm going to finish, but I think we, we can always come back to this. <sighs> memes are powerful, so I would defend memes. But do I agree with them all the time? No. Do we take things too far sometimes? But this is a decentralized moving beast. But the thing about Bitcoin that's great, Eric, is that everyone has the freedom to do what they want. If you want to do this, and you can go and do it. My only feedback to you is that uh, I'm not the smartest man, but I am a fucking good salesman. And maybe, maybe there's another way to sell this to people. Sell what? Sell this, the way that the approach to attacking the neoclassical economists, maybe it's just, it just needs sharpening. Like the, 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 like we as Bitcoiners, we need to sharpen our tools. We sometimes, we make good arguments and bad arguments. Maybe the arguments that you want to build, they just need sharpened in a way that is digestible by a, a large group of people. Because I, I, would, I would imagine 
when people listen to this interview, and I think it's been very different from what I expected, a lot of fun. But on this point, I could imagine, I could be wrong, but I imagine some people will say, I, I kind of got lost and didn't understand it. I've got a good gauge for that. That's my gauge theory. I got a good gauge for that. So maybe that's what it is, but time to digest it, I think. Well, you know, just, my guess is, is that this is going to land in some way where people are just going to go back to their snap to grid perspective. Like, I heard a bunch of stuff and it, you know, it didn't really speak to Bitcoin or this guy really just, you know, uh, he's against the community, doesn't understand toxic. That's tiring. What I'm really excited about, let me just be very clear about it. You've got the world's greatest recent innovation by some measures. And it's doing an enormous amount for an enormous number of people. Unfortunately, it comes with a little bit of ethos, which is it lends to a simplification. Namely, we can get by with memes, we can get by with slogans, and uh, toxicity is our friend. Um, trust don't verify, uh, don't trust. These are not things that are mature enough to replace the corrupt structures that I think are within its reach. Mm. And so my feeling is I wanted to align myself not necessarily to become this community, but to align myself with this community for fighting our common enemy, which is allowing, in general, much older people who do not understand what pressures we're under to continue to direct our society from positions of power. And my concern is that for some reason... The, the memes are hollow. If, if Bitcoin can't even go after the neoclassical economists who populate the Fed in an area where they are totally vulnerable, which is the topic of inflation for which Bitcoin, I mean, this is Bitcoin's killer product. Its killer product is, is that you can hide from central bankers who are living through some MMT fantasy. You can, you can short central bankers using Bitcoin. My feeling about this was, hey, it happens that they don't know how to compute this. It just, it could be that they did know how to compute this and that they still didn't want to compute, in which case I would have nothing to offer. But the, by virtue of the fact that they can't compute this and it's in your wheelhouse and you're not even going after that or you're not even asking the right questions, which, you know, it's like, well, Eric, can you sell it? Well, why don't you send me a team of salespeople? Go, go take some Bitcoin and buy a team of salespeople and tell me what I need to sell. And then tell me a bunch of visual stuff that I need to do and go, go buy the visual stuff. Then hold a conference and have a prize. But ultimately, I would like to stop listening to Paul Krugman. And it's very important that if we find the thermal port on the economics death star, that our aim be true. And gentlemen, I thought that was what the Bitcoin community wanted to do. Why are you and your X-Wing fighters rocketing down, you know, the canyons on a Death Star, headed right for the exhaust vent, and, you're, and you, you won't even take your shot on inflation? Are you guys kidding me? No, listen, look, we are. We're, we're just not seeing it the way you see it. We're definitely going there. But look, it's, it is part of our narrative. But let's let people digest this. Let's, let, let's see what people say, because there will be some feedback on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thank you for coming. Thank you for I appreciated me. it. It was definitely a challenge and a test, but it was All definitely right. worth it. Uh, Travis. A pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Enjoy man. the conversation. Thank you to my man, Rich, for Lennon's Borough Studio. Um, I'm sure we'll do this again at some point. Inshallah, my friend.
Okay, what did you think of that? I really hope you enjoyed this one. I know Eric has pissed a few people off and some of the more hardcore Bitcoiners, especially when he discusses gauge theory. But you know what? I don't care what anyone else thinks. Eric thinks gauge theory is important. I want to hear about it. I want to learn about it. I want to learn about everything people throw at Bitcoin. I think it for me, sometimes I find myself as a bit of a cheerleader. But you know what? It's Sometimes it's best to step back, not be a cheerleader, hear the critics. And i got to be honest, during this interview, Eric challenged me. There were a couple of things he brought up. I was like, yeah, do you know what? I think you're right. I do think sometimes, perhaps we're like with Elon Musk, we all jumped out and we're like, yo, this is so cool, great Elon, but don't trust Verify. Maybe that didn't work out for the best. Also, maybe is right. Maybe we should be challenging other ideas. Look, I don't know. You guys might be like, shut up, Pete. Eric's wrong. We've got this. I don't know, man. Whatever you guys think, whatever you think of Eric's approach, whatever you think of Bitcoin, for me, all I'm going to say is I love this. I love talking to Eric. I got so much out of this. I learned, do you know what, actually, I even learned some things about interviewing from this because I've done 360 shows, but this was a heavyweight. This was a challenge for me. And you know what, I got a lot out of it. So a couple of big shouts out and a couple of big thanks. Firstly, Travis, thanks for coming on as a co-host. appreciate you, brother. I love you. Also, a big thanks to Rich Roll for lending us his studio. Some of you might be new to the show. Oh my God, the guy crushes it. But here's the reason I have a podcast. I met the guy in Italy a couple of years ago hung out with him in LA and I was like, you know, Rich, I like your lifestyle. I want to be a podcaster. And you know what? He's always been there for me. He gave me all the advice at the start. He's been there whenever I've had questions. And when I turned around and said, can I use your studio? He delivered. So big thanks, Rich Roll. And also thanks, Eric, for coming on the show. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you, brother. Now, if you've got any questions about this, please do reach out to me. I'm sure there's going to be a lot this week. Let me know what you think. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com and you can also jump into my Telegram group. And if you want to support the show, if you've never done it, please do head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Outside of that, have a great rest of your week and I will see you all on Friday.